Welcome to Stirring the Pot with Lucas Acida. First episode of 2022. Uh, man, you know, with it being the first one in a while, I thought, you know what? I don't know if one guest is enough. I might need to bring two motherfuckers on this pod. With that in mind, I called two people who you definitely have never heard of before, um, who have never been on the pod before. Uh, we have a guy named sitting next to me named, uh, is it Nicholas Talon? Uh, my name is Nicholas Talon. That is correct. Welcome into Stirring the Pot. I am happy to be here, and guess what? It's going to be a great Thursday evening. Goddamn right. And uh, calling in all the way from two maybe possibly three states over off the top of my head, I'd have to really think here, uh, is one and only guy named D'Angelo Starks. D, how's it going? Howdy. Uh, going well. Good it, to be back. Good to well, be I mean, back. No. Or, I mean, I what? 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 Chicken butt? Okay. Uh, now that I got both <laughs> the boys here, uh, it would be a shame to have... Uh, the two guys that I go to um, for anything in regards to baseball. And with the league where it's at right now, or you could say uh, what league or what baseball season. Where it is not. Uh, I figured I have to bring these boys on to talk about it. And frankly, uh, having to look at one of them uh, every day, uh, I know he's dying to talk about it. So, uh I don't have a preference in terms of which one of you kind of want to um, at least start. set us up. We could we should do some f- sort of an alley. I could here. do a little setup. Really okay, fast. Nick, let's yeah, set up. Uh, season ends. What's going on right now in the MLB? So it's kind of interesting because baseball more so than any other sport. I feel like there's a definition, a, a huge base, and uh, a definitive uh, casual fan base. And I think that's key for baseball specifically because it takes place in the summer months in a lot of cities. Uh, that's a great event to go outdoors and enjoy a baseball game. So it's kind of just funny thinking about some, like a decent percentage of people that have no idea what's happening, but, uh, kind of going into this off season, um, it was, it was known that there's going to be this collective bargaining agreement taking place between the MLB, uh, PA, uh, and the um, MLB slash owners essentially for a new bargaining agreement and not going good. They weren't even talking to each other until like last week and the deadline. When were they supposed to meet initially? They could have started meeting, I think, um, God, it was right after the, not even the, maybe not the World Series. I'm not ex- exactly sure when meetings could. But like started, last, but we're yeah. talking last year, and now we're almost coming up yeah. on March. Yeah, like this was known. This was known that this was going to be a thing. But what's crazy to me is that we're now approaching, and actually we're podcasting right in the middle of this. We got four days. If uh, no agreement is made by the 28th of February, 2022, uh, we're going to start losing some regular season games. It's going to start cutting into the season. So, I mean, like this is approaching quickly and each side has been um, they've been meeting with each other this week specifically, finally, the week before this deadline. Um, But apparently they're still super far on what they're asking for. Um, It's it's a lot to unpack. And then also you have the whole um, there is like a kind of like a politicized side of things where, you know, there's definitely some people who are the type where it's like, we don't us the fans are being punished you know sitting back and watching millionaires and billionaires argue over the terms of their deals but in reality um 
I normally, in my opinion, uh, that's what this podcast is for. I side with the players on this for the fact that they're just trying to bargain for um, getting more of their worth. And essentially, uh, the service time specifically for me is where this became huge because as a Cubs mm-hmm. fan, we're sitting in, uh, you know, my sound treated podcast studio closet uh, currently. <laughs> and we got, I got like 30 Cubs hats up there. And the fact that I, as a Cubs fan, um, you know, saw them draft Chris Bryant in 13 and then have the whole service time uh, incident go down in 2015 where the Cubs essentially sent him back down for like 20 days to gain an extra year mm-hmm. of service time. Um, he ended up suing the Cubs. Uh, I believe he won the case. Um, but, yeah, because he lost money because of that. They sent him down because, obviously, why wouldn't the front, offer, front office and the brass of the Cubs want a couple uh, cheaper years of Chris Bryant on the back end? Where they could live, you know, a month and a half or a month without him in uh, April and stuff. So it was an interesting situation, but seeing that firsthand definitely has played a huge role in how I view this whole thing. And then also uh, knowing that the meetings have not been going well is just super frustrating as a baseball a baseball fan, specifically in the demographic me and D. That um, you know, it's it's starting to just get a little thinner, you know, and uh, we'll see what happens with the, when the dust settles here. Well, that's a little perspective from uh, from the Cubs side of things. Uh, D all the way over there in the one and only uh, Tigers State. Uh, obviously, it's not like you're getting any different information um, that right. we've had in terms of the events that have been happening. But uh, D, what are, I guess, what are your thoughts on um, that whole period of these meetings that should have been happening that really haven't? You know, is this a shocker for you or? You know, is this kind of what's expected? Um, it's not a shocker for me because I, if I remember correctly, uh, the last time we talked about baseball on this podcast, um, we we had Nick go on a bit of a rant about Rob Manfred. Um, and we, with guy. what we know about Rob Manfred is that he's pretty damn bad at his job. And the man that is really – in charge of like heralding baseball into this new like completely different era is like just running it into the ground and like knowingly like they've known like Nick said that this CBA bargaining is coming up and they just won't fold on a couple of issues and I understand that he works in the interest of the owners and for the owners this is all about control like the service time thing. And it's also about the level of money they can spend. And, of course, the bigger teams want to be able to spend more money, but the smaller market teams don't want that to happen because there's already a huge competitive balance issue with teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees and teams who can spend $300 million on their payroll. That's another one of the big issues. But service time, as a person who has long hated service time manipulation, I hope the players – get some sort of fix in that. Um, the Tigers are probably going to be dealing with that this year. They have two young prospects who should be up immediately and be playing right away. But we might have to watch them sit in AAA for a month or two just so the Tigers can hold on to them for another year. What are those two names, by the way? Uh, that would be uh, Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. That would be – Ever heard of them? As an, yeah, as an MLB fan, I would be very excited for that. And I think that's kind of interesting, too, with service time that I find uh, captivating is the sense that they're trying to grow this game um, for the younger generations. And I feel like it's kind of funny MLB The Show has really done a great job with that um, mm-hmm. 
even a better job, I would say, than the MLB in some cases. Just because there's certain people that are playing the show because of how good the game is, and you know, in terms of the hierarchy of your Maddens and 2Ks, people are appreciating yeah. the game itself now. But you have non-baseball fans playing the sports game just because they want the next best uh, dynasty team, like ultimate team, set mm -hmm. up. And currently, a lot of people are talking about uh, Diamond Dynasty and MLB The Show. Um, but it's I, I don't want to cut you off. I guess, you know, that actually has me thinking now. Do you guys know off the top of your head in terms of Madden 2K, MLB The Show, in terms of popularity or sales? It's like... Which one of those is kind of the top dog? I don't even know necessarily. FIFA is the top dog. Well, that makes sense. That I mean, makes yeah, sense. But I mean, like other of the, I think two of the American sports that we all you know obsess over. What uh, like I, I guess I don't even my, know. Yeah. I wish I had my phone on me, but I know there's a certain statistic. Last year, at least, MLB The Show 21, I think at one point was the second highest selling game in the year. But I guess it's just interesting to, yeah. because it's one of those things where it's like, uh, I mean, we've grown up through the uh, the NBA Live versus 2K era, <sighs> NBA Live uh, you know, dude. all the years of Madden. And at this point, you know, it's just funny because now we're in a zone where every year, you know, we're getting the same game. And I feel like everyone is constantly disappointed by those sports games specifically. Whereas I talk with you who plays MLB The Show pretty frequently and you're in love with it every year. So I don't know if that's just a, um, like, maybe I'm just speaking with people who aren't fan. Like, bit. well, that's not necessarily true because D goes crazy playing Madden and 2K all the time. It's just, you know, there's not enough change in the sense. And they're almost like a monopoly on it where it's like, ugh, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're not doing enough to um, create a great product year after year. Where it sounds like MLB the show is really doing some really great stuff. I guess I was more or less just curious. I don't even know in terms of those games what what is the most popular, which one is the most. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of, I'd be curious in not only sales but in terms of ratings. You know, ING or whatever ratings of the games. Um, I guess I'd be curious yeah. to know that for it's, sure. I can it's, definitely, I can definitely tell you, like at least for me, why I think that MLB the show has like the leg up, like Nick mentioned with Diamond Dynasty. Because every sports game has their version of the mode where you can collect cards, build your own team, do like the whole all-time historical yep. fantasy team. Like every game has it. EA specifically really uses it to push microtransactions and to get people to spend more money in the game. 2K, same thing. They want you to buy VC to buy packs so you can get those cards. And MLB The Show, the thing that they do different is they put out so much free content that all it just takes is time and effort in playing the game that you can earn a lot of, like, the best cards in the game just by putting in a few hours of work. So that's just, like, something that they do completely different. They take out the microtransaction. Obviously, you can still do it and buy packs, but there are a lot of other easy ways to get a bunch of different cards and they're constantly putting out stuff throughout the season. Yeah, I wish I wish these sports games would um I it's funny, I have no idea how it would affect the logistics of everything, but it almost makes I feel like it makes sense specifically with the rise of more just like digital gaming where mm -hmm. you don't even need to be, buy a physical disc for a game. But mm -hmm. I'm I've always wondered like why they don't go to a model where they just have like one game every five years and just be running updates on it for five years, push the microtransactions similar to like a, uh, 
a Fortnite or something like the 2k my park i i don't even want to know how much money they've made off microtransactions for like hoodies and stuff for their people's players and like i i wonder if a a different game model or a release schedule will come with these games just for the fact that you know they don't necessarily need to keep pushing out a different game each year if they're using the same engine just make it one keep updating it and then when there's a significant engine increase like i don't know maybe i'm just uh dumbing it down way too simple and there's probably enough profit to be releasing each year I guess I'm, that almost makes me curious in the sense that, I mean, you said five years, just, you know, throwing it off the top of your head, but it's like, well, why why would it be, you know, I guess I think of how many years go in between systems. Um, would there just be one game per system? And it's like that game just keeps getting updated. I don't know. That's kind of interesting to look at it that way. But, you know, in general, we definitely went on a little, er, um, yeah. we took a little <laughs> side road. I was just more or less curious because I didn't know if you guys followed that sort of thing. But Nick was making a great point just in terms of, you know, baseball trying its goddamn best, which is not very good, <laughs> to try and get a younger audience um, to be into the game in general. And the video games have been at least somewhat successful at doing that. Uh, sorry to cut you off. Can no, you please good. continue? You're good. And unfortunately, though, too, the MLB shot themselves in the foot once again for the fact that last year um, – I don't have the numbers right off the top of my head, but it wasn't a, I wasn't necessarily a, a down or a bad year for the MLB, but like with the rise of um, more selected, selective athletes within the MLB, like uh, your Ronald Acuna is your uh, directly Shohei Otani and what his effect was on the game last year. I felt like they took a huge jump just marketing players last year. And then now, of course, it's just hilarious thinking that I was sitting there like, Hey, you know, this has been a couple like good storylines for the MLB this year. And then, of course, I knew what was looming over the top was the CBA in the offseason. And we got a little movie trailer of this whole uh, negotiation when they were discussing the shortened season for COVID. And there was huge issues. And we ended up losing baseball there because the two sides could not uh, think of a way to go about it. So it's just interesting because. I feel like the majority of the MLB community knew uh, something a little, I don't want to say heated, but just prolonged and, uh, for lack of a better word, annoying uh, negotiation process was going to be coming. But now it's starting to, you know, we're getting into territory where we could start losing some games. So, of course, it's getting it a little bit more into the limelight. I guess um, I'm curious, what do you, and this is, it's a loaded question, but it's the million dollar one, you know, do you guys think there will be an MLB season or um, how many games are you expecting to, them to miss, I guess? That's a good question. Do y'all have you start? <laughs> oh, God. Um, it's, I do uh, think there yeah. will be a season. Yeah, if there's not a season, I don't – like I am genuinely fearful for like the continuation of the MLB. Like if, the, if you go without a year of baseball, it's already like dying as is. People aren't going to like flock back in mass. For you like they're not going to be there waiting for you obviously the diehards will but the diehards are barely hanging on like as is i just they have to figure it out at some point and eventually they will compromise because at the end of the day the owners want to make money the players want to make money that's always what it comes down to and those are the issues that are keeping them apart they'll i'm sure the players will end up getting the short end of the stick like they always do because that's just how it goes but um, hopefully we're not going to, like, go 
longer than the month of April having to miss games. That would uh, suck if we start going into multiple months without baseball when we're supposed to have it. I mean, one thing that Nick always brings up is just, um, it's just unfortunate um, that we're missing kind of like the prime years for a lot of the people in, you know, in the game. It's like, you know, we're, we'd be missing out on, you know, another, you know, few months of Mike Trout of, you know, think about the year Shohei had last year. It's like, how, what more of a superstar could you want in that guy? Yep. I like, I just think about the timing of this sort of thing. And it's just unbelievable in the sense it that sucks. frankly, as someone who is, has never been that invested in baseball, um, it was really fun to wa- to follow it last year with Shohei playing. You got a guy who pitches and is that good at bad. It's like he was in the fucking home run derby. It's like you can't write that any better. That's video game in real life. Yep. The same way Mike Trout literally, it's like all the stats, literally just fucking 99 everything. Yep. Shohei's like, oh, wait, no, I'm going to play that and I'm going to do this too. It's just it, what a cool time to be a baseball fan. Like I just, it's so sad for me, mm-hmm. as someone who doesn't even follow the sport like that, but there's so many young names that I already know, and it's like, oh, man, what? It's just they're all over the place. Like last year I got into fantasy baseball. It's like, I don't know, it just seemed like we were on such a, you know, an up and up, and now it's like, what season? It's like, wow, what a 180 that is. Yeah, and I mean, we, we kind of got unlucky too with uh, like DeGrom and Trout because last yeah. year obviously there's a full season, yeah. but we lose them to injury, but then – the shortened season prior and then now we may lose some of the front end it is it's just annoying uh trout easily clears 500 home runs uh in, in my opinion i think um but other than that yeah I'm, I'm very disappointed in how this is shaking down so obviously we're, we're all kind of pro players here it, would you say that there's any sort of argument for the other side i mean is there anything positive in that regard that you could say you know what, I guess I see where they're coming from, or are you just 100% like pro player? I guess, you know, I, I feel like these are conversations uh, you probably have with uh, with your pops, you know, in terms of, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, which side do you fall on? But I guess is there any sort of argument for the other side, would you say? Uh, I think, so, sorry if you're going to uh, jump in there, D, but I was just going to say I believe the one thing that was I thought was a little interesting, and it kind of makes sense just for the fact that, um, I would, if I had to imagine being an owner GM, uh, one of the annoying processes of the year is, is the arbitration and having to, you know, basically get at, uh, sit down with, you know, a mediator at the table with some of your players. And essentially they put all their stats in front. They say, this is how much I'm worth. There's a starting number. And then it will, you know, it's like buying a used car, I guess, in that way that like they work their way down to decide how much this person's going to make via arbitration and, um, I know that the owners were shooting to um, make that pot a little smaller, which I completely understand as well. Mm-hmm. But if, I mean, if you are also giving the players more freedom with service time, I feel like that's a give and take that could be considered. And I don't know if that's even the thing that's kind of slowing this whole thing down. Hmm. But yeah. Um, I think the only thing that I would say that the league has put forth that is reasonable is like a way to counterbalance teams feeling incentivized to hold guys down and like manipulate service time is they proposed like some kind of rule where teams would get draft picks for keeping high prospects in the majors 
So like if you do something like that and you incentivize teams and actually reward them for promoting their young prospects and playing them, then like we, I mean, obviously the NFL is a whole nother issue and we probably don't even need to get into that on this podcast. But one of the things that they do to incentivize hiring minority candidates is rewarding teams on both sides for with draft picks. So if they do something like that and you give teams a reason, draft compensation, and they're also t- thinking about implementing a draft lottery, which I think lotteries always just increase the quality of play and decrease the amount of tanking. I think if both of those things are a good idea. Um, right now they only propose a four-team lottery. It, it needs to be more than that, but I think the idea is solid. Yeah, I kind of forgot that they were talking about the lottery system. That does always make sense, and I feel like it's worked well in the NBA specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so you think they should ban the shifty? What's going on? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed. Yeah, well, but, I was, like I don't feel strongly either way. I just saw what Joey Gallo was saying yesterday, just about. Which it's funny because he's like the outlier as far as hitters go. Just a weird, skewed, uh, statistical masterpiece that is Joey Gallo. But um, I did see just a lot of people talking like there's got to be a way to counteract this just for the fact that batting averages have not been lower since like 1968. And people are just saying keep two positions left of second base, keep two positions right of second base. That should be all it is. Some people are saying you know, don't, you can't have a infielder on the outfield grass. I think that's a bit extreme specifically for, you mm-hmm. know, defending against like John Carlo and stuff where playing back or playing a little deeper would probably be for the best, but it's interesting. There's just, I feel like baseball is having a massive identity crisis, like for the past, like four years. And now this is the crescendo where also there's fighting within <laughs> and uh, we're going to lose some baseball. Yeah. D, in terms of an identity crisis, you know, is that something that you're seeing um, year after year? Or, I mean, I guess, how do you feel about that? I mean, um, I mean, are there any big rule changes that have kind of pissed you off, I guess? Well, of course baseball is, is going through an identity crisis. You think about it, baseball historically is, you know, it's really overblown and cliched to say it, but that's like what it was. It was the past time it was the biggest sport it was what everyone cared about you know um and people just don't in the same way anymore so it's uh inevitable that they're going to be going through a bit of an identity crisis but i think the problem is like the nba definitely was like struggled with some of that but i think when you have a decent commissioner they can figure that out and they empower the players and things tend to be so well when you do that um in the mlb sense they clearly have a commissioner like we have talked about over and over who like for someone who is the commissioner of what is in all honesty largely a dying sport to the popular audience he seems to like have no sense of urgency to try to fix this like he's just content to let things ride out so he can get his way but like his way is hurting baseball like badly yeah and they've just had so many weird controversies too with uh my personal favorite i love that they started you know checking for the foreign substance and 
Uh, you also had, of course, um, why am I drawing a blank? Oh, the Houston Astros scandal that I think it's consensus. Most people believe that that is a botched uh, uh, judicial system within the MLB <laughs> when that when that went down. Uh, Shouts out AJ Hinge, though. Um, and then, but what I will say is that's interesting. It, it, led, it led to... It led to, yeah. I, know, I was just, yeah, it led AJ to, we're, we love that. I, you know, I think he's a pretty good manager. But anyways, uh, what's interesting, though, is just the pace of play thing. There goes the phone on the ground, probably crack screen, and also day would be ruined with that. <laughs> and my headphones just stopped working, too. But, okay, so what I was going to say. Are they working now? No. So what I was going to say <laughs> is really fast, though, the pace of play issue that's at hand as well. Um, they put Theo Epstein. Oh, we're back, baby. We're back. Uh, I know Theo Epstein has a new role and forgive me. I don't directly know off the top of my head what that is, but I know he's kind of in charge of like how to usher in a new era of baseball, like game innovation essentially. Um, and I feel very strongly about this. And I think specifically this year, um, my girlfriend, Emily is trying to make a more concerted effort to watch premier league soccer. Can we uh, give a quick shouts out to MGU11? Shouts out MGU11 instantly. But what I will say is, love that she's watching Premier League. There it is. Yes, and um, it's just interesting watching a game that I've never. It's tough. I don't remember what all of these sounds do, but I knew the green one was bad. So I know that Aquamarina is. Ooh, a little drum kick. All right, but um, Premier League though, very interesting. Mm-hmm. I've never followed that sport, but actually kind of just learning about it a little bit. And of course, with the rise of Ted Lasso, um, for us <laughs> American people over here, we can dive into soccer a little bit more with um, this cool bridge, which is the TV show. Honestly, I, I think you're hitting the nail right on the head there. I think Ted Lasso has done a, an incredible job at getting the American audience invested in soccer and, you know, well, that's the great thing about that show is that you could not even give a fuck about sports at all. But that show's so fucking good that you're like, oh, man, I'm totally locked in. And guess what? For those people who aren't even that into sports, now, they are, now they're now they invested in soccer, exactly. dude. That's so it's it's, great. That's awesome. And I hope the Premier League's kind of, you know, opening. I, I'm sure it already is, and I haven't even looked into it, but just kind of opening more a- up access for filming perhaps for Ted Lasso. That'd be sweet. Just oh so yeah. They have... did for the next season. Sweet. They gave them rights to like archival footage and all the jerseys and all that. shit. Amazing. See, that's exactly what I was hoping. Cause obviously that's great for the game and they understood that. And then now, like they just said, we will see the benefits within mm-hmm. the show just because they're working as a team. Um, but what's beautiful is you get 90 or yeah, 90 minutes action. Mm-hmm. And for me as a kid, you know, I don't, my dad was just one of those people. He wasn't the biggest fan of soccer. So, you know, naturally that wasn't passed down. I never played it or anything like that. But I just always had this mindset as a kid that it's boring. Like all they're doing is running and there's, it's, it could be very low scoring, can end in a tie. That's like, that's where it lost me as a kid. And I think it was mostly because of the negative energy my dad was passing down because now I realize that soccer is mm-hmm. sweet. Um, specifically after playing Mario Super Strikers. Shouts out new game coming out <laughs> dropping soon. Uh, but what I'm going to say is that the advertisements are on the field. They never cut to commercials. Mm-hmm. MLB, you got to start cooking a little harder on this. Get some digital video boards all over the stadium and just do not cut to commercials. Just put them on the walls. That's like. what I'm saying. And then, ah, 
if they could just do something like that and just cut commercial time, um, a pitch clock never really felt great about that. Honestly, that's the one thing where it's clearly a way to speed it up, but I don't know if that's the route. D, how do you feel about a pitch clock? Pitch clock is meh to me. I think, like, to a certain degree, it it would do something, but I, I don't know. I think there's something there with trying to make it more like a soccer broadcast because for my money, there's no better sport to watch on TV than soccer. Like you said, there's no, it's just two solid 45 minutes of action. The ball is constantly moving. It rarely stops. And you just are, it's, it's really fun. And it is similar to baseball in the sense that like one tiny decision could like lose you a game. So like Easily. every single pass you make, every single shot you take, everything you do could affect the decision. And that's really fun to me. And that's what baseball has in the postseason. Baseball is one of the best things to watch because every single pitch feels like it matters. They just need to find a way to make it quicker and make it feel like that more often in the regular season. And I don't really know what that answer is. And I hate to say it, though, too, is that's why I directly see a path for, you know, some sort of say in the shift. I, I do think that we will see within the next couple of years uh, a movement for the shift where, you know, you're not going to be able to be as extreme. You can't be having six guys in the outfield uh, all on the right side of the field for Joey Gallo up there um, because obviously that will translate directly to more offense. It's a pitcher's game right now, and it's hilarious because mm -hmm. to, if they want to grow this game, they just need more scoring, and it's it it sucks. But they need their equivalent of like a three point line in the MLB right now, and I think That's that true. you know changing the shift, um, you know actually having top tier, um, young I'm talking eighteen nineteen year old prospects called up just because of differences with uh, service time. If we could get that, that would be huge. Uh, robo umps yes sir bring them on in <laughs> let's get you know what you can save some money there uh cut the umpires and i actually have a clear vision for this i'll let uh, luca decide if we can if we want to get into that just because i don't want to steer the ship but hey i honestly i've owned this is the thing i've most wanted to hear from you just because i hear it every day <laughs> And, it's a nightmare and I, you know there's so many people that i feel like don't get the opportunity to hear this take uh, even before we get Nick's thoughts, uh, D, well, let, let's hear yours first. Um, on, on umpires, yeah, general, ro robo or, robo umps. Are we are we for? I don't. I don't really have a strong opinion on robo umps, so I'm like I'm waiting to hear this to see if I'm swayed because I don't really. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I guess I kind of haven't really considered that one too much because I don't know. How like I don't oh, know much about plan. the science. Drop yeah, it, yeah. I don't know. Drop, yeah. It, drop it like it's hot. Okay, so obviously this is just way easier to talk about with having no scientific knowledge of the technology needed in place for this to take place. But based off my general knowledge of the game of baseball, including like the Statcast era and how they track that data within baseball parks, and now with the introduction of heavy AR technology augmented reality technology used in everyday life whether it be looking at a piece of furniture in your room with amazon or a snapchat filter anything like that i truly believe via a camera system that they could create 
um, with New York and how they basically do the replay system, I think there'd be a way for them to set up cameras currently, have all this data lasered in essentially where you can have a more consistent strike zone uh, purely based off the biometric data of the players in, including. Um, but basically, this is the fun part, I guess. Remove the foul poles, no more yellow, make it huge LED bars, okay? Huge light bars. It still acts as the foul pole, but it turns... So baseball is beautiful because it's all these like little mini games, little mini battles essentially throughout, but most of them are uh, determined very binary you know like safe out strike ball that type of situation all you need is green and red those two colors i say you switch the home plate to this glass see-through with an led panel on it um just because a that look cool b it gives the players instant feedback i'm telling you get this green ball red strike you have the person in new york who can view all the data and view the the camera angles they click a button just like a scoreboard operator. You have the computer determine if it was a ball or strike, but the relay system is human-based. And then you have these visual cues within the stadium that um, you know let the crowd know and let the players know if it's a strike. You don't need the audit. And you know, guess what? That gives the stadiums freedom to pump in their own sound effects. So I guarantee you the Cubs could honor Harry Carey still if they use some clips of like, I don't know, anything like that, or just add in the umpire sound effects if they want to, if it's that big of a concern. But uh, I think visually that looks sweet. And then B, we get more consistent um, balls and strikes, which obviously there's a huge argument there. We want the human side of things, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, if you give the players a more consistent strike zone, you're going to get better baseball players specifically over the next 50 years if that's ushered in. Humans will definitely have to probably still be umps for little league and stuff stuff like that but i think mlb like there's ways to make this visually interesting modern um and they have the stat cast data that's what's always interesting to me i guess that's interesting to me i guess uh i think about basketball and how it, the different levels the three-point line gets further and further back so when you're in the nba that's obviously even way different than college so in a way that'd be kind of interesting to me that if you know up until a certain point you know there are you know, obviously human umps. And then when you get to the pros, it's like, nope, this is the exact strike zone. It's like, that's kind of an interesting thought that once you're on, you know, the grandest stage, you know, now it's even more difficult or, you know, difficult's one word, but exact, you know, there is none of the, you eliminate that human error. I don't know. You know, I, I some people are in love with the human error aspect of, I don't know. I guess to me, it's but, like, why, why even... Why? Why would you prefer having that? Yeah. I don't know. For me, I just so feel just like being a traditionalist. I guess. Yeah, and like for me though, that doesn't make any sense. Just for the fact that if you do rem remove human error from the game uh, being called or officiated baseball directly, because it's you know it's influenced heavily, and you know I follow like a bot Twitter account that tweets out ump reviews after each game during mm -hmm. the MLB season, and you know there's a lot out there that are really decent, but at the end of the day, if you have a fully consistent almost foolproof um, strike zone, you're going to get better players. There's nothing that they have to worry about that can be, and uh, I feel like pitchers would probably be kind of upset about it over the long haul because mm -hmm. I think that's what we'll get is you'll get better trained hitters, specifically mm -hmm. at the professional level, which means more offense, ban the shift, put the ads on the field, get these two-and-a-half-hour games over with, and let's go. That's my opinion. Theo Epstein, please. 
Come on the pod, Luca. Come on the pod, baby. <laughs> I would love to to chat with Theo Epstein. You know, it's funny. The um, word on the street is that the commissioner of baseball actually listens to uh, stirring the pot, and if he is indeed listening to this episode like he does the other ones, uh, what's your guys' message for him? Mine would just to be simply, Rob, you got to resign, man. It's over. <laughs> it was a good run. Like, it's just time. You're just not doing a good job right now, man. Adam Silver, can we just snipe him from the NBA? Because he, what he's done the last decade in the NBA is exactly how I wanted baseball to grow, and we took the fattest out of the century. D, what about you? You got a message for Rob? Um, uh, I really love what, what Nick had to say, but knowing that that's not going to happen, I'm just going to tell him to do his damn job. Do his damn job. Damn. I, you know, I respect that, but we need to, we need to usher him out. We need to figure out a way. No, for sure. For sure. For sure. I like, I agree with yours, but I, you know, I gotta be a little different. I'm going to stay a little more grounded. I'm going to just tell him, you know, do his job, give us baseball. I respect that. Do you over under five years until he's gone? I fucking hope under. If it's over, the world may have ended by then. Hmm. Well, I'll meet in the middle. I mean, that might be the case anyway. Yeah, that's true. I'll meet in the middle for Rob and tell him to do his job and get the fuck out of here, baby. It's that's, a new era. That's what, I'm <laughs> that's what I'm saying. We need we need these players um, to just get better. So we need to do, we need to usher in ways for them to use these advanced metrics to uh, be more pristine. But we also need to get these old dudes up out of here. Let's get the game going again. Let mm. the like they said, let the boys play. Let the let them play. But. Uh, well, tell you what, we have been flirting. Just, uh, I, I love it personally. Uh, we've been talking uh, a little. We've gotten little glimpses and flashes of a little thing called the NBA, little thing called Adam Silver. In terms of this conversation so far, I feel like it'd be illegal to not talk basketball. We gotta, we gotta hop over. You know, we've been real negative. Uh, not that everything is just perfect in the NBA, uh, but. We just had the All-Star game. That was a whole load of fun. Uh, I know specifically Nick this season has just gotten way back into uh, basketball and is indeed seeing red. I'm seeing red. We're back, baby. Gar Foreman and John Paxton never come back to Chicago. Never. Anyway, sorry. With that in mind, uh, let's talk some basketball, guys. Uh, How do we feel about the All-Star game? Um, I'm not even even talking about – uh, the dunk contest or anything. I just mean the all-star game in general. Um, in terms of format, that you got your you know your two main vote-getters get the draft. You know How do we feel just about how the all-star game in general has evolved over the last couple of years? Because that's, that's really interesting to see that it just it feels like it's constantly being updated. And just in professional sports like this, it's like you don't see that super often. Like, you know, we're talking about MLB making these big drastic changes and there's big debates on them. Basketball's like, all right, uh, our boy Kobe just passed. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to completely change the format of the All-Star game. It's like, that's fucking huge, man. So just in general, uh, D, how, let, let's hear from you first. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about um, what they've been doing with the All-Star game uh, just in general? It is one of the better ideas the NBA has had in a, in a while, I think. Um, it's just brought, like, it took something that was really, really, really stale 
and that no one felt like they had to watch or cared about and added just like another level. It just made it more like plain old basketball, which is exactly what we want. Like we want to watch the best players in the world just play pickup basketball like us, just all the best players in the league playing with different combinations that we just don't get to see. And they found a really good way to do that. I think there's another step that they could go. I've, I've heard people talk about this, and I think the players are specifically the ones that push this, but I don't, I don't know. There's like a little bit of tricky stuff with it. The best possible version of this is instead of having like the draft be a week before on TNT, this whole thing, the draft is right before the game, just like right like you do with regular pickup oh, games. Oh, dude, that'd be sick as hell. That would I be, would like that. That's the next level. It would be perfect. And I think the other thing that they've done really well is the Elam ending. That just that makes things, um, I don't know, more intense coming down the stretch in the fourth quarter because you're playing to a target score. Like yep. there's no amount of time. You're not like you're playing to a target score. you got to get there before the other team. I like I really like that and I think that's another one of the things that has really pushed it over the top and made it go from something that you could honestly go without seeing and like not miss anything to now something that is really fun to watch and looks like it's on the verge of just like continuing to be better especially with how much talent is in the league right now. Target score is interesting to me. I'm slightly conflicted on it even though there are aspects that I definitely love about it. Uh, before I even get into that, Nick, what about you? How you feeling? You know, first year really uh, following basketball like weekly. Um, what's it been like? You know, how's how? Well, so it. I kind of have an interesting relationship with basketball because for a while I want to say. Um, so you, you, I am a Chicago Bulls fan. Um, my dad was. <laughs> yeah, honestly, in my lifetime, God damn, that actually leads into this directly. So. I was from about, I want to say like 2009-ish, but probably more so 2010 to 2015. I was watching a ton of Bulls basketball, the Derrick Rose era, Joakim Noah, Boozer, Dang leading into the Pau Gasol, and uh, that, oh, God, the Carmelo sweepstakes back in, I think, oh, 14. Oh, man, what, that's just so funny that you say that. It just takes me back. Like, I literally just remember the conversations that D and I would have with the Will about that like everyone was so excited to see where Carmelo was gonna go well dude Nuggets Mello that's a whole nother fucking thing man that oh, motherfucker was built different I, the, always yeah. that's a top second round pick in 2k for all you motherfuckers drafting out there get on <laughs> it if it, if Mello's got the braids there ain't no question baby that's your pick but so <laughs> Mello is crazy <laughs> I hate that man <laughs> No, know, he's man. all right. Nick Mello was a different breed. Yeah, he, God, Nick's Mello was Mello weird too. Was, Nick Mello was like put thirty on your head and hit a clutch three from like the fucking logo for no reason. I feel like the Knicks were just weird. That Maybe it wasn't was so Mello; it was just the Knicks. Oh, it was absolutely. That's literally one of the weirdest just storylines ever. Was that Knicks team with Mello and Stottlemyre and all that good stuff? God. But man, yeah, we're. I mean, we're definitely. We're bouncing. I feel bad. We're definitely bouncing around. I want to give you, you know, the same general question. Uh, you've been watching. You've been watching the Bulls recently. You know, yeah. you're you're following this wave. They're really successful this season. Uh, but in terms of, you know, we've been talking about rule changes and stuff. You know, we got some insight from D in terms of some of the 
um, stuff that they've already changed and how they can, you know, go further. What's that like for you, you know, someone who's such a big baseball fan and it's so hard for to get those motherfuckers to change anything, to hop into basketball for a season and it's like, oh, man, the All-Star game's way different than it's than I, you know what I mean? It's well, like it's got to be so different for you. Well, yeah, it's, it's bizarre just for the fact because, like, okay, so – Really fast, just to wrap up like the timeline. So then, in, I went through all the heartbreak: Derrick Rose ACL, meniscus against the Blazers. I was like, I was, I would consider myself then a diehard to the point that it was actually like painful to be a fan, specifically during that era, having to face LeBron, the Heat. All I had to hang my hat on was Joe Keeve Noah triple doubles and Nate Robinson beating the Heat streak, and, and damn near 2012 <laughs> or whatever it was. Um, but then I took a hiatus, and I'll tell you directly why. Cubs go in their pinnacle. Um, the Bulls trade away Joakim, Derek, and they say, we're going to get younger and more athletic, John Paxson, Gar Foreman. They go sign Rondo, Wade, and then I say, I'm not going to watch the Bulls until John Paxson and Gar Foreman are gone. Fast forward, our turn as baby comes in, and we're already cooking again. So uh, technically, you could consider me a bandwagon Bulls fan, but at the same time, uh, the principles of me leaving the fandom was just on a break until they got the front office right because I couldn't handle the moves they're making, what they said to the press. I'm back, Demar. I've been loving it, having a, a ton of fun. But what I've been shocked about, you know, I missed like a solid four years where I was pretty much focusing on the Cubs and even though it's laughable, the Chicago Bears as well. Um, the definition of, um, but I'm I'm really been enjoying. We're using it. the shit out of that one today. That's just we're talking about. In Chicago, it's tough because we got we got Pistons fans, we got Lions and Bears. Fans. I'm telling you, this is rough in here. This is the <laughs> yeah, central. This, this is central division. This button's pain. about to be worn yeah. out as hell. It's gonna be like, what the? What color is that supposed to be? I say honestly, I don't even remember. It's just black. Yeah, we pressed it so many it. times. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been so exciting for me to come back to the game because I love the game. It's it's great. It's it's such a fun sport to watch. But what's beautiful is I miss the start of some of these dudes' careers. So I'm like I'm being introduced to these exciting. And at this point, almost bona fide superstars in the league that I had no exposure to. I was, you know, so used to the same song and dance of uh, Spurs, Heat, uh, Cavs, Warriors, Warriors, Heat, whatever it may be throughout that 2010s. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, being introduced to and watching, actually consuming the games and not seeing just highlights of Luka, uh, Don Doncic and Nikola Jokic and Trey Young, whoever it may be. Um, I'm just having a great time, and that led directly into the All-Star game where we had two Bulls, Levine, DeRozan. I'm happy I got to see my boy DeRozan hit a clutch shot in the fourth quarter, mid-range, of course. You knew that motherfucker was going in. We yeah, watched that shit. We said, well, that's fucking add two there. I know. So I was pumped about that. I love the format. I, I can't, I've can't. i been watching the All-Star games in all three, including Pro Bowl, mm -hmm. for a better half of the last 10 years because, you know, that's just a, such a fun concept. Why are you watching the Pro Bowl? I didn't watch this year, um, but I had watched in the past couple just to just to check it out. But then obviously it normally turns into me uh, on my phone and then also the game being turned off halfway through. Um, but the concept of the All-Star game is so interesting to me. Mm -hmm. It's the best. It's supposed to be the best playing the best. Mm -hmm. They pick it. It's this is a supreme talent. But of course, considering the assets, the business assets that these bodies are now and how much money they're worth, essentially. I do understand that whole element of taking it easy, to, you know, specifically in football, and that's why I think Pro Bowl will always be a bust, this, mostly in that one. 
But the NBA did something great here. They switched the pickup format where it's literally you can see LeBron, DeMar, and Jokic like such weird combos that are a beautiful thing. I, yeah, I mean that in general, I think is so because I can I just no I, brainer, no brainer. Like to me, I totally and it's funny because at the same time that they were gonna do that, I I can already hear in the back of my head all the people are like, no, it's gotta be East versus West. It's always East versus West, and it's like why the fuck? If anything, it's like. I think it's so awesome that we can, exactly what you're saying, see these people play together that we've never seen. Now, you could argue it's like, well, now we're in the air where motherfuckers are just chilling in a location for a couple of years anyway. It's like, you're, they're going to, it's like, why why not That's keep the, the all-star game east and west if these motherfuckers are going to be bouncing around anyway? It's like, I mean, I get that. But I do absolutely love the idea that anywhere in the season, we do get some aspect of like a pickup game. And specifically, when there is a target number like twenty-one or whatever, uh, it's just a different game, and I think Easily. you see it. And that's why the last five minutes or two, three minutes of the NBA All Star Game is always the best, no matter what, because these motherfuckers are just throwing it up. They're not playing, you know. They're 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 loosely playing, and they're definitely uh, over stylized for sure. It's high scoring games. That's the that see. That's the issue for me. Is it's like these all star games are so high scoring. It's like if you have a target number, we're gonna get there fast as hell. So yeah. in terms of like having to lay this out and broadcast it, it's like that's tough. With I mean, Jesus Christ, Steph literally just hit sixteen threes by himself at the all star game. Yeah, and it's I can't like believe- if that was gonna happen, it's like this this game would be twenty minutes max. I can't believe that he. That's uh, not how it works though. Well, this season it's like quarter by quarter they were basically playing against each other for charity. And then at the end, mm-hmm. the last quarter, that's when – I mean, I remember the Kobe yeah, year they did the – I think it was 24 again yeah, this they, year. So they had 24 to whoever had the highest mm-hmm. number, and then they're playing to that target number. Yeah, I yeah. think – I literally yeah. – like that format to me is unbelievable. unbelievably brilliant in the sense that it adds uh, like a benefit to each quarter – there's a significance there because they're playing for charity. It's like that's fun. That's fun for everyone, you know, involved. And that makes you know that that's the thing is it's like we're we're so used to the norm of kind of waiting until we get to the fourth quarter for these motherfuckers to really turn it on. Uh, that now it, I feel like the whole game you know has a fun little competitive aspect to it. That and then you know it's it's fucking cash like it is every fucking year when we get to the fourth quarter because the game's literally fucking incredible. I just I heard you say target score earlier and that's the only that's reason. Good. It's like if even before the game we had a target score, it's like that's that tough. would make it tough. Yeah. yeah, it's like that's tough. Yeah, I, that I'm be, conflicted yeah, on that. Sure. But in terms of the format that they're doing right now or that they've been doing since Kobe passed, it's like I think that that's, that's fucking awesome, as, dude. As soon as you remove the time, that's what's beautiful is then. Specifically, I feel like we've gotten lucky because the games have been so close. Um, you know, the, the, going down to the wire, time cannot protect you. Shot clock cannot protect you in the same sense. And I love that just for the fact that you got to get to the point somehow. It's just those last, you know, 15 have more weight and the fans are behind it more because everyone knows what's at stake Mm -hmm. and it is for fun. So that's when the players start feeling the energy. It's incredible. Can't believe Mm -hmm. Steph choked the MVP though. Missed his last three. Uh, Shouts out Steph Curry though. Did he miss his last three in that game? I think he did. He really choked the MVP though. Wait, did he get MVP? He scored 50 points. I'm tweaking over here. I'm tweaking. I really don't feel... I mean, he he could have missed his last three, but I don't feel like... I remember him... 
He definitely missed. He tried to win it a couple of times. Yeah, yeah that's like true. Braun just ended up winning. I guess that's what was stuck in my head. Well, you got to also think that motherfucker was in Cleveland, so oh, it's yeah. like, how how do you write that better? Steph cooks it's their like... ass, and then LeBron hits the game winning shot. Oh, what's your guys' thoughts on that? LeBron what? saying that he is like he's gonna play with his son, like that's the end. I mean, I don't have an issue with that at all. I love it. I that's think that's always incredible. Been, that's always been the idea. I thought. People are just find it interesting that it's announced like his actual motive was announced or something, just because people are getting weird about scouting. Yeah. At a high well, school yeah, player. I guess I guess in that sense, it's it's I think that everyone had, totally has a right to look down on that, just in terms of we're in the era of of that sort of thing where we're we're looking at these kids from such a young age, um, in terms of scouting. It's like you know, it, LeBron saying he's going to play with his son. It's like, well, that kid's automatically going to be way ahead of everyone else just because of that alone. And it's, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like it's almost fucking written for him already just because he's the son of LeBron. And it's like, that's tough. Cause it's the, tough, yeah. It's, it's also interesting just because he's so young still that it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, how the hell are we even supposed to judge if he's an L- NBA caliber player when he's in fucking high school, you know what I mean? If that, how old is that kid now? I think he's a junior, junior. He's a junior. So yeah, he's a junior. In you know, baseball, I think. it's honestly, it's one of those things where, if anything, now I feel like it's acceptable to start yeah. talking about it more because he is older and he's close to you know graduating high school. But you know, this is a topic that we've been talking about. It feels like for the last couple of years, yeah. and that's really interesting because it's like. Uh, the first even talks I heard of this, it's like, this kid's in fucking middle school. You know what I mean? It's like, we're talking about a middle schooler just automatically playing in the NBA, just knowing how hard it is to do that. It's like, I don't know. I guess I don't take it as literally as that. Like, if that happens, great. Yeah, some people are memeing like, hey, even if Bronny's a mid-basketball player in the that's NBA, they no, can get him to get LeBron. Yeah. Exactly. That's He's strong arm in the league. Like, even if his son doesn't pan out, his son's going to get drafted because one team is going to draft him for a year of LeBron James. It's Why a package deal. Yeah. Yeah, well, that dude, are you that's telling me you wouldn't do that? You no, know what I mean? It's right. like, bold. wait, I just automatically get LeBron if I get this little motherfucker. This motherfucker getting two minutes max. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> they need to, Bulls need to hit <laughs> Bronny's line. That man knows what he's doing. Yeah, well, I'm, to be honest, based off everything I see and uh, with with. The name alone, obviously, you hear just so much about him. And it seems like, you know, the talent and at least the physical build will be fine enough to make it to the NBA. It's just so interesting, everything that can happen in between there. Um, but I, you know what? Like, that is one thing I will say about LeBron. A, since my my hatred form from 10 to 2015, since that moment, that's actually what stepping away from the NBA, I guess, provided me right around that 2016 time frame. It's just I started appreciating LeBron. When I, it's funny is I stepped away from the Eastern Conference as far as following it. Then I uh, started to respect LeBron, understood what he's done for the game, and that's what makes me so excited about that storyline. Is like, could you name a better ending for LeBron? I don't know if you could. And the fact of the matter is, he's probably going to finish as the leader in majority of the major um, uh, statistics in the game of basketball for history. So to basically almost passed the torch even if his son's living in one of the greatest shadows ever. And if he can produce at the NBA level, I think that that passing of the torch will be pretty iconic for the NBA. And I think that they're going to welcome it with open arms, uh, open arms, obviously, film it in 8K for the 
the documentary that drops in 20 years and we're good to go. Are you going to be shooting that or what's the deal? Uh, they haven't contacted me yet, but I actually just reached out to Adam Silver today and I said, hey, if you let me shoot this, I'll give you a handshake. And he said, that's not quite enough. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, we haven't even reached, you to, reached out to you to shoot this, so uh, we're not going to let you do that. And then I said, what the hell? <laughs> that's what happened. But hopefully soon we'll be we'll be cooking for a major sports organization. We'll see. I I just I think that basketball in general is it's in such a beautiful spot. You know, it makes me really happy to be a basketball fan and slightly spoiled in the sense that, you know, even as a kid it's just the game that I um have been attached to the most. you know, I, I I learned it when I could started to walk, that's when I started to learn how to play that game. And for it to turn into the thing that it did, it's like it's it's been such a joy to follow, even up to this point. And, and you know, it's funny too because I feel like it's so. It, when it comes to baseball, it's like one of those things where I can hop in and hop out. Oh, it's playoffs! You know, oh, what's going on? And fantasy football keeps me engaged with, um, with football and following that season. But I, it's like basketball has always been such a big important role in my life that it's like I almost it's. It, it, in my bones in a way it's like so many of my relationships formed because i was on the basketball team or because d and i were playing you know every single 2k every single year that it came out it's like we were sitting in class motherfucking drafting teams for uh blacktop in 2k for after school we're sitting there it's like oh yeah you got magic well i'm gonna get you know whoever and it's just we would fucking draft it's so stupid we would draft like all-time teams before you could draft them in 2k which is literally my favorite fucking thing on the planet oh yeah is that aspect that i can draft legends now Oh my god, I've been waiting for that my whole life. That's what the show is nailed too, by the way, in Diamond Dynasty. Oh, yeah, I mean just getting all different but I don't know. It's just it's been a really really uh cool thing for me to uh to follow that and to look and see how it's impact that sport alone is impacted. So I'm sure it's the same for you for baseball though. Right? Oh, easily. It will easily and then also what's crazy I want to say too is we were talking about Moby the show 2K9, NBA 2K9 to like 2K14 is like when I was playing heavily. They that was huge for me. That like it's kind of it's interesting how it does put that in perspective and the power of video games is like I was so in tune with basketball back then. I was playing the my team. I may or may not had uh, my parents' debit card connected to my PlayStation, and I may have oh actually God. bought uh, <laughs> VC back in the day. They found out not happy, but I did get. I got a diamond bronze though back in two K. I think it was two K twelve or two K eleven. I was going bananas, but the the power of the video game. I feel like the these sports organizations need to start pumping way more money into them because you want to talk about gaining the younger audience. Give them a fun game to play that also teaches them every player and aspect of your game inside and out. Honestly, that's funny. Now that you say that. I, Coach Warner said something to me about that when it's when I was dating um, when I was dating Lily she was really into basketball and she played basketball too and I got her to start playing 2K and he kind of leaned over to me he's like you know I kind of love that she's playing this just because I feel like she understands the rules uh, way better than even before it's like all these pl- it's just kind of a cool thing in that way and that makes me think with foot that's specifically how I learned 
any of the players that I know in football is because I started playing Madden and because I started drafting motherfuckers. And it's like, ooh, he just cooked that. That man's fast as hell. Who the, This man makes fast people look not fast. Who is this? And it's exactly. just like game after game after game, that knowledge just grows. It's just really interesting to see the impact of video games. But, D, you know, I'm kind of curious to get your perspective because you're someone who, yeah, I mean, the, I'm talking so passionately about basketball. You know, Nick's talking about baseball. I feel like both of those motherfuckers for you are so, you know, ingrained in you as a person. It's like, well, how has that been for you? In, uh, in terms of just like watching basketball lately? Uh, just, or in, not I mean, even, not even general, lately. It's like just to think of where we're at, you know, how the game yeah. has evolved and to, um, to ride that wave the oh. way that we have together, I think is such an interesting thing. Yeah, it's really funny because, like, if you think about the way, especially, like, when I first met you, like, the Spurs were in the height of their their dynasty. And that was, like, that was your squad. Like, I was I was technically, like, a Thunder fan because I'm a Kevin Durant fan. And you were Manu and Tony and Tim. And that was always – but obviously you love the Lakers, too, which is always there. Cause it's, so, it's just, like, it's cool to watch how we now are, like, forming these new attachments to new teams and new players. Like, I know me personally. There's just so many guys that I want to watch play basketball. And there's so many guys that I, like, like to follow and just, like, listen to what they're doing and keep up with what they're doing. Like, I think Anthony Edwards is one of the best things to happen to the NBA in so long. He's so funny. He's so good at basketball. And he's just something completely different that they don't have in a superstar. He's someone that's just, like, completely honest and blunt and just, like, gives you what he's thinking. And I think that's just – maybe it's just a, a – perk of like the young guys and where they're at and how much they know about the league coming into it but in terms of following the sport and watching how it's grown obviously player movement is has changed things a lot but for someone like me who follows the NBA more on players than a single team because like I follow the Pistons but like I'm not I would not label myself a diehard like in any means like my Pistons fandom is not the same as my Lions fandom or my Tigers fandom but I do still enjoy watching basketball just as much as those other ones because I there's so many players there's just way too many guys that are fun to watch on a nightly basis and there just keeps that number is growing every year and that's the thing that's the most fun to me there's so many exciting players. Well, that There's I mean, so you're, they're totally. Players. Yeah, you guys are both. I mean, uh, Nick said Luka Doncic, uh, Jokic. Jokic like, for me has been like a revelation. Lamelo Ball. La, uh, well, like, dude, there's so and Embiid too for me. Like the big man, just because Embiid, I yeah. watching Joakim Noah back when D Rose was out with all the knee injuries, when he was kind of running the point center. I thought that was such an interesting way to run an offense. But now actually seeing mm-hmm. people who are you know. Hall of Fame quality players just dropping like these big men running down the court, running this offense. It doesn't matter where the ball's going; it's there's going to be points scored. And then, yeah, they're seven feet tall. It's that's the coolest thing is just these big men stretching the floor now, specifically, and like that whole change I missed within those four years, where you know Embiid is literally I don't know how many he's taken a game, but he's taking threes. I knew Cat when I was you know Cat was always kind of taking some of those more longer range. But he just won the three-point contest. Like, this is just such an interesting era for basketball. I'm, I'm pumped to be following. Hopefully the Bulls, I, I have faith in the front office, and I believe that, you know, I'll have an interesting team to watch as long as they're in charge. 
Well, like, I think the thing that's like surprising is like it's really it's way more varied than I ever would have expected it to be. Because if you like, you think about how sports generally go, it's usually like whoever is winning, everybody starts doing all that. You know, and it's like, so instead of that in the NBA, you have now, I feel like you would think that everybody would be trying to play like the Warriors. Um, and a lot of teams like try, but we've like, instead of seeing everybody like solely rely on the three point, like now you have teams like Cleveland, like the Nuggets, like the Sixers that are playing through bigs and playing different styles than that it, we have seen like with the Warriors with that ball movement, three-point oriented attack. And I just think it's cool to see how many different styles you can get in a league where overwhelmingly it's believed like the three-point obviously is way more valuable and everybody knows that. But there are different ways. Like we're still seeing different styles, which is really nice because I think for a long time people were worried that all those different styles would be gone. Well, and that's what's kind of, I feel like, really beautiful and where I see a heavy crossover amongst all sports, but specifically baseball and, since we're talking about basketball, feed it directly in is the advanced sabermetrics, which is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, the Chicago Cubs, an organization I followed a full rebuild for before they won the World Series, was it was very interesting to watch them and the Astros because they were rebuilding in this completely different you know, model. Uh, at that time, it was launch angle, power hitters, home run over the mm-hmm. fence. It doesn't matter what your batting average is, but they go and they draft you know your your Schwarbers, your Bryants, your Haps, your Baez, you name it. Um, but seeing the different zigs to the zag, it's something that when I took a step away from basketball um, to really dive into the baseball and everything like that, it was I when I came back, I thought that it was going to be more of that zig, where you know. Trey, people like Trey Young exist where that three-point um, barrage is going to continue to grow. It was very refreshing to see the zag as well where there are these different models that are finding success. There's still a game out there for, you know, in baseball we found out it isn't all about launch angle. There's still a game in there for, um, you know, your contact hitters, maybe just higher batting average, whatever it may be. There's so many numbers you can get mm-hmm. into now, but I'll just keep them to the basics. And then in basketball as well, of course, if you look at it on paper, taking more threes is going to be the most efficient route to score. But if you have certain players who are efficient, like a DeMar DeRozan, like perfect case scenario as exactly. far as the balls go, mm-hmm. I mean, people thought the mid-range shot was dead five years ago, except for guys like Russell Westbrook or whoever it may be. Kawhi. Kawhi, exactly. And now you, KD, see, yeah. and you see that there's still a game for that, specifically with KD, DeMar. Yeah, I would have said it even five years ago. It's like if there's anything about DeRozan, it's, I, that's the irritating thing yeah. is that, I mean, D said I was a Spurs fan, so it's like I've always been more or less – uh, well, I mean, even in Tor- Toronto, less so. But I respect yeah. I respect anybody with a motherfucking mid range game because that was like to me the Kobe fadeaway Kobe, was my yeah. favorite fucking yeah. move. Yeah. I spent hours learning it. So anybody who respected the mid range game instantly became one of my favorite players. So I always had a respect for Demar Derozan. And then when he was a spur, you know, I was grinning my teeth. I was like, this is beautiful. And then my horrors came true, and he became a Chicago Bull. And now that he's a bull, he's playing at an MVP caliber level. And I got to say, um, definitely different situations, but in terms of pain, uh, well, this is definitely extreme. But I think about it, and 
uh, so I've been a Lakers fan for a long time. You know, Kobe is kind of the person who uh, really got me invested in the sport. Yes, I followed it when I was younger. I lived through the 04 Pistons thing. So it was really fun as a kid to be a, a Pistons fan growing up. And it was mm-hmm. fun to root for those guys. But when I became a middle schooler and now I'm playing sports, now I got people at school asking my opinion on stuff, you know, that's 08 to 2010. That's that Kobe run. So from that point on, I was always rooting for those motherfuckers, even when they sucked ass, dude. They Literally, I went and saw the Nash. worst basketball game of all time just because I was such a Lakers fan. Oh, you're talking about, yeah, who I'm is talking on the roster? Kobe's hurt, so I'm watching Jordan Hill and Jeremy Lin tear it up on the floor. And guess what? They're playing the Thunder, who didn't even have KD or Westbrook. They were both out, and that was after <laughs> Harden was traded. So I literally saw the, the scrubs of the NBA battle it out in the Staples Center. That's uh, tough, but as a Lakers fan, uh, I'm also anti, well, I'm not going to say anti because that makes it seem like I'm uh, still root against him, and that's not the case. But for years it was definitely the case. I was so anti Le- I was rooting hard against LeBron I feel every like anyone fucking who year. wasn't a Heat fan. Totally. And that's what, if you're LeBron not a LeBron Well, that's days. the thing. You're either a LeBron fan or you're mm. not. And if yeah. you're not, you're, oh, my God, you're rooting against that motherfucker. And for him to come to the Lakers, oh, that was devastating for me. That was like my last grip of, oh, I'm rooting for a team, I'm team-oriented, fuck the, yeah, there's players I love, but I still got my team, baby, I got my team. And then that happened, it's like, what team, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's not. It's, it, of, of course, it's like, you know, he won in the bubble, so what, am I going to be upset that they're tied with Boston now all time? It's like, no, of course, you know, whatever. I'm just not aggressively rooting for the Lakers like I used to. And that brings me a lot of pain. The same amount of pain that someone like DeMar DeRozan is now fucking killing the game, and he's a bull. He oh, needs, we needed fuck. that, dude. Especially like a mid a mid range game in Chicago. I get like it, it was. It, I feel like people are in love right now, and I feel like the moves they made. This this organization's reinvigorized, and I'm very excited to see how this goes because I, I like the pickups they made with mm-hmm. Carew. I mean. Watching Caruso play has been fun, and you're totally right. And I don't even want to—I don't want to cut you off at all. Yeah. I just thought, you know, in terms of Demar Derozan uh, being an effective player in, in an era that is so three heavy, I think another big name right now uh, that is also in the MVP race, you could argue, uh, is John Morant, dude. And that motherfucker yep. is, oh man, dude, he's just eating the rim. He's jumping out the gym. It's crazy. And that's someone who's just so successful right now. That's a, just another example of someone who's successful right now who isn't that three oriented. It's like that. That's just what a what a time for basketball, you know. Are you salty? Demar didn't go to the Lakers because that's where everyone had him going originally. Uh, not necessarily because they struggled from shooting outside. So mm-hmm. I see no help in them adding DeMar DeRozan, um, that that just still doesn't... Honestly, what they should have done is figured some shit out to get Buddy Heald and whoever. You know what I mean? It's like, that seemed like a real smart pickup for me, and it's like, oh, yeah, let's not pick up this Westbrook contract uh, for that motherfucker, because guess what? That's the same goddamn issue it is with having DeMar DeRozan, except guess what? DeMar DeRozan's cooking. It's way worse. Well, just because, too, I mean, obviously, Russ has uh, UCLA ties, but DeMar, obviously, USC, he's from Compton. Like, everyone had him going to the Lakers, I thought. I thought that was interesting that 
for a for me like if you're Demar, honestly, how after do you go to the, Chicago in the cold, man? Go back. Why wouldn't you go back home to L.A.? But hey, I'm happy. Because he here. understands. Yeah, playing with LeBron is is a taxing thing. I think. I think, and not is. everybody wants to do that. Yep, it takes um, a different. And piece. he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't be averaging almost thirty points a game if he was on the Lakers. No, I think this is he'd be averaging scenario. like eighteen. Exactly. Yeah, like he'd be averaging like a full ten points less if he had not. Yeah, and he I'm, made the right decision. I'm really happy they signed Tristan Thompson because I, I mean, watching them play, you could see the backup big situation, specifically when Vucevic isn't playing well, was kind of tough. Um, but yeah, shouts out Demar. I love the one A one B with him and Levine. Like both of them, I don't know if people would consider like top, you know, superstars in the game. But I do like that together. It's almost like a Power Rangers thing <laughs> right now. The Bulls, I'd say. Where there isn't really this 1A, I mean, some would say DeMar is just because he is playing out of his mind. But it's a really good balance, I feel like. Go Bulls. NBA, baby. We're back. Got some bets down tonight. That's too much of a of a red uh, red wave that's no, coming my way. We got to go. We got to keep it blue. We got to keep it blue, baby. Keep it blue on STP. Well, I'll tell you what. We've talked. Uh, I actually, I've loved the, the sports talks that we've just had right now. We're talking, we're about an hour in. We talked an hour of basketball. I figure we should dedicate some time to uh, movies and music. What do you guys think? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Okay, so there is um, there's a group that kind of ties all three of us together, um, and they just recently released some new content, and I feel like it'd be, if we're going to talk music, it's impossible not to bring them up. Uh, that group is Karungbin. And for those of you that don't know, on the pod, uh, last summer, Nick, Nate, uh, D, uh, motherfucking, who else went? Uh, Emily went, uh, Tyler, Sydney, Sam. You we name got the it. whole Lake House it. crew to go to Hinterland in Iowa, the festival, music festival they were putting on. And Sunday night, just so happened that a motherfucking group called Karungbin was uh, co-headlining before a motherfucker named Leon Bridges. Hello, guess what? D and I motherfucking love Leon Bridges. Guess what? Nick loves Leon Bridges. And guess what? Both those motherfuckers said, let's link, baby. Let's make some EPs. And they said, run it. We got a little thing called Texas motherfucking sun. We got a beautiful creation. And, and we got the sea tech. And, well, now we have Texas Moon as well. Moon, baby, moon. It's it's a beautiful time to be a Karungbin fan. So last summer, uh, we got to see them live and perform with Leon Bridges. So we got to see that. That was fucking badass. Guess what? That was so badass. Nick and I said, well, anytime those motherfuckers come around, we got to go. Well, at the time, it turned out the next closest show just so happened to be in Royal Oak, Michigan. And it just so happens that I know a motherfucker who lives in Michigan named D'Angelo Starks, who also motherfucking fucks with Karungbin. So Nick and I said, skirt, hopped over, hung out in Grand Rapids with the crew, uh, came and tagged along, and we all went and had a blast in Royal Oak uh, to go and see Karungbin again, this time by themselves. We wanted to see, all right, all right, all right. We saw you at the festival outside. You know, we saw that vibe. What's it like when it's your own show, motherfucker? What's it like inside when you get to control the environment? Boy, did they show us. It was a great show. And I, um, what's hilarious is Luke and I love that that show so much that we're seeing them next Tuesday. 
That is indeed the case. We were going to go. It's funny. You know, we buy these tickets to go and see this band in uh, in Michigan. And then it's like immediately as soon as that happened, they said, oh, yeah, we're coming to Chicago. And we're like, okay. And then Sam came in real clutch and said, listen, listen, listen. I know you guys want to see the show in Chicago, but it's like 50 bucks cheaper if we were to drive up to Wisconsin and see it at the Sylvie. At a sweet venue, yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm So it's like, it. I mean... My bank account ain't complaining, so yeah, next well, w- next week. What I will say, I like the Sylvie. I've seen two shows there now, uh, Beach Bunny and Young the Giant, but what I will say, the Chicago one was at Aragon Ballroom, and I was I, that would have been a sweet show just with the star ceiling and everything, uh-huh. but I think the Sil- Sylvie's like modern, just, just built within the last five years, I believe. So I'm excited to get catch this vibe because it should feel like, relatively comfortable in there and you, there should be good viewing angles. So I'm looking forward to that for sure. Hmm. Well, uh, I mean, Texas moon literally just dropped uh, D let's start with you. How'd you feel about the new EP from uh, Karungbin and Leon bridges? Oh, it's been, it's been playing since it came out. It's so good. Favorite track. Mariella. It's not even close. It's the best one off of either EP, if you ask me. That's Damn. easily incorrect. Easily. That that seems steep, even that, though that, we're the no, same team, so but but that's okay, okay. Nick, what about I you? Think it, I think it's my favorite of the of the songs. But I, I respect, no, I respect it. I'm just, I'm memeing you yeah. for sure. Definite meme, but what that's I will fine. say, Doris for me. I didn't agree on the best song on Texas Sun with you either. Yeah, deep, oh, wait, real true. quick. Why is that their best song? Why? Yeah, of just the EP stuff. I just, oh, I just think that it. it's, I don't know, I just, yeah. Just oh, man, that's too bad. It sounds like these audio is, for some reason, <laughs> being cut out. Uh, Nick, what uh, what are your thoughts in terms of your favorite um, from the new uh, Texas Moon? I'm a big fan of Doris, just the opening track off of it. Um, I really like B-Side as well. Um, it's interesting. I'm always interested how stuff's released, why it's released in that order. Like, so obviously with the two singles off of it, it was quite interesting because I want to say I like B-Side like the most, but at the same time, since it was released as a single, Doris felt more fresh when I listened through the full EP, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like Doris, B-Side, Marielle is incredible. My, honestly, out of the the eight tracks total, or whatever, yeah, I believe it's eight tracks total. Um, Nine. No, yeah, Texas Moon is five. Okay, okay, Texas, okay, so nine. Uh, Chocolate Hills for me was is pretty low. It's pretty low. I like Seaside um, the most off Texas Sun. Texas Sun would probably be two. Um, ah, that's great. Yeah, B-Side's up there. My, what am I missing off Texas uh, Sun? What's another one? Oh, Midnight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess all together I think it's that's nothing my, but hitters, That's my but. favorite off the Texas Sun. That's an incredible song, yeah. So, Texas Sun, I think I like a little bit better, but together, I'm very happy with this product we got. I've, I've, I'm very happy that this collaboration came to life, and I hope this isn't the last we see of them. Completely agree. Completely agree. I guess that's, yeah, that's definitely my feelings with that collaboration. Just, I feel like he's such a great, like, uh, vocal vehicle for a band that hangs its hat on the instrumentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like, and because it's got that Texas um, kind of more, I want to say like chill desert 
type melodic energy to it. I feel like his voice just slots in beautifully mm-hmm. with that more southern type sound. Why do you think we've gotten just EPs from these motherfuckers? Why haven't they just said, "All right, we're gonna lock in for an album"? You think it's more of a scheduling thing, or what do you think the deal is? I think I would imagine. And I also, I, I also think they probably dropped the EP with Texas Sun without really realizing how successful That's the true. song well, was. Well, if anything, that helped out Karungbin, I feel like, way more than it helped out Leon. Like, Leon Bridges is doing his thing. If anything, it's kind of just been interesting in the short amount of time that we've kind of been on the Karungbin train. It seems like uh, they've just grown in popularity because of, you know, these EPs, which is I, I think is fucking awesome. Oh, yeah. And I think, yeah, I think they got together during... Like the, uh, maybe not the stay at home order era, but like definitely during COVID, I know that was probably some incentive of like people not really going out as much. Cause I remember seeing on Instagram and social media when they linked back up after Texas sun to record for Texas moon. So I wonder if they just had already maybe some material written and they're like, Hey, if this, if Texas sun's successful with this four piece EP, maybe we can get together, finish up these three other songs or four or five other songs, whatever it was. Um, and that, but hey, yeah, maybe we'll get an album next time. That'd be pretty sweet. I was, I would, I would guess that that's what it was because, like, I first heard Chocolate Hills on an Instagram live like two years ago. So, like, he's had that song. He just, I don't, I don't know. That's the one. Like, even though I like it, I agree with you that it's like the lowest of all the songs. On I was going to say that's just because sure. I don't feel like. My least favorite. That one just doesn't. That feels the least like fitting with Krungbin, and the, like that's the that's a song that should have been on like Gold Digger. That's what I was that kind say. of vibe. I was gonna say versus that, being honestly, a song. it's kind of same energy. Is don't I feel like it. Bruno taking don't over the Silk Sonic it. thing. It's true. Or it it's like, like it's just bridges. a different. It's not the vibe I mm-hmm. think that we needed. Or it's like that with Silk Sonic. That was the Bruno show featuring Anderson Pack, and it's like no motherfucker. It should be. I'm not going to say it definitely. I think it should be the other way around. If not, it should at least be balanced or more modern. It's like, I, I get wanted, it. Yeah, I wanted some new fun. Well, that's the thing is it's like Bruno's just been, he spent so much time going backwards. I feel like that. It's like, I thought that this was going to be the thing to bring him forward, but come no, he brought Anderson Peck in the time Anderson machine back with him. him. He yeah. Said, he pulled yeah, it. Come on, well, but here's the thing. And it's like, what's the music that both inspires them it's probably the same old shit. So it's like Anderson Pack. He's probably like, you know what? I'd love to hop on that train and do some old thing. And I'm sure that that that's what inspired the project. You know, when they went to do it, that's the type of vibe they wanted to go for. So it's like I can't necessarily be mad because I'm happy with you know some of the product that we got. But just thinking about the what if of that combination alone, um, I think they fucked it up. They well, fucked now it I'm up worried totally. too. Now I'm worried. Just think about the name even, like, Silk Sonic now. I'm just concerned. This is it, right? Like, I feel like that's the sound. I don't know. If we got another album from Silk Sonic, I don't know if it would be much different. And that's why I think the disappointment sits with me, as you're right. Like, I was mm-hmm. hoping for way more Anderson Pac yep. produced. Yep. Anderson Pac, at least percussion produced. Like, more uh, combine the old era of, uh, of I don't even know uh, what Bruno's kind of going for, that, that soul kind of vibe and just make it a little bit more modern with Anderson Pac's uh, old funk twist. Like that's what's so cool about him as an artist specifically as a solo artist. I guess now that I'm thinking about it, it's like Bruno's had an interesting little career in the sense that, you know, he, he was so relevant in my middle school, you know, with grenade Mm -hmm. and just the way you are dropping. He's like, fuck, you know, he's like, 
yeah, I can do that, but listen, I can do this old stuff too. And then with the second album, you know, you get things like Locked Out of Heaven or When I Was Your Man, and it's like such, even the music videos for Treasure and When I Was Your, like, they're so old school, and it's like, that's such a fucking mm-hmm. cool thing to see that. So then with the th- with 24 Karat Magic, now we're kind of in the 90s era of Bruno Mars, and he's doing kind of that fun little twist on, you know, songs like Poison, or, you know, shit like that. And it's like, you know, this is this is real cool that we're getting that. I just thought that it's like, I thought we were getting closer and closer to the modern era. And if anything, we took two steps backwards. With And that's so funny for me because I love all that old shit that, you know, I'm the one complaining about it. But it, just thinking about the what if of that combination, oh, it could have been magic. And yeah. it, it was good. It could have been fucking incredible. Well, we thought it was, that's what it was. We thought it was 50-50. We thought Silk Sonic was 50-50. And what it ended up being was at least genre vision in 80-20. Yep. It was like, you know, when you go to direct a Marvel movie, you know, you're not going to oh, get your you know auteur. What? You're not... That's exactly what the fuck it probably feels like. Mm. Yeah, you're not an auteur when you go and work with Marvel, and apparently Bruno's got that, that, that slider all the way up to Motown, baby. He's, or not even Motown, but like that genre that he's trying to capture right now, of at least of an older sound, which... They're definitely going for like a 70s funk sort of 70s, thing. Yeah, yeah which I, I love, but like I, I just was... Yeah. I thought I... I was expecting something else. And, you know, I can't help that. I can't help that I was disappointed based off the expectation. Well, and that's the thing, too, is it's like, you know, I guess I don't even know what everyone's expectations were going in because here's the thing is it's like I don't think that this is going to be something that, you know, really grows over time in the sense of something like Awaken My Love is something that had uh, so much high expectations leading up to it because we hadn't heard so much from you know, Gambino up until that point. And then when we got it, everyone was like, what the, f-? you know, half the people are like, what the hell is this? Oh, Some people are like, I like it, but I want this man to rap. Where yep. the fuck, you know. That was I, me out of middle school. And then you got like, people who are like, this is literally the greatest fucking thing. And I feel like over time, people have really opened up to the change that was, you know, Awaken My Love. And I think the era that it came out stands even more so. Like, that, that is how you nail it. Whereas I feel like this is just... It's not a dud. It's just forgettable, and that hurts knowing that these two artists fucking rock. I mean, D, uh, we mentioned that this was, you know, we brought up Chocolate Hills because it's like this feels like a Leon Bridges song that just so happens to have Karung mm-hmm. Bin on it in terms of vibe. But, I mean, do you see the correlation in terms of Silk Sonic or, you know, maybe we we kind of went, we went real hard on that. There. It's not that no. bad, but... I- I mean, personally, I I haven't gone back and listened to it since. Like, I just didn't like it. Nothing about like a couple of songs I thought were catchy and fun, but like nothing really caught me to where like I wanted to return to that project because, like you said, it was eighty twenty. Like I had all of the same hopes. I think plus, I think there's something to like the idea that this was built up for like over a year, and like we got the singles a year, like so much further in time like so much longer before we got the actual project and the actual project was like barely 30 minutes that was just such like that kind of just deflated all my energy for yeah. it, like immediately when i saw that it was like seven songs in 30 minutes like that's what we waited over a year for since you dropped this and kind of built up this thing like it was going to be like some revolutionary like revolution yeah like like some big merging of like the past and the future and like 
Yeah, and it wasn't that at all. It was just Bruno Mars continuing his infatuation with black music. Like, Bruno Mars ain't Teddy Pendergrass. It's just not going to work this thing. That shit just don't hit. Like, it's good. It's fun. But it's true. Like, he's just not that. Like, Anderson Pac just brings so much energy to a song that he's on. And I felt like that was was definitely the issue was that the balance just Mm -hmm. wasn't there. And I felt like he was more the Robin to Bruno Mars's Batman. But guess what? If we go, you know, full on Batman Beyond storyline here, we got to get something cooking here. I want to hear some synths, and I want to hear Anderson <laughs> Pac on the drums. Let's hear some production. Let's cook. Mm-hmm. But guess what? I still want some brass section, so Bruno will still be happy. Mm. I think I I think if they work together again, I think it will go up the the product or at least. In line with my expectations, but then again, yeah, my expectations don't mean shit. People liked it, they liked it, but I feel like we are in a group that are in consensus on that at least. I, you know, I just, I have so many questions in regard to the Silk Sonic. You know, it's funny how we just hopped over to the Silk Sonic thing just in comparison. Well, but I mean, what's there more to say about Chocolate Hills? It's all of our least favorite fucking song. And in terms of it, not, I still think it's good. It's I, not, like, I still yeah. think it's good. It's, it's just it's compared not, to the rest of the stuff on all the projects. It sticks out like a different thing. You know, it just, it stands yeah. out, you know? And, yeah. but yeah, the Silk Sonic thing, I don't know, man. It sounds like we've all had some built up frustration with it. So I think it's fun to kind of vent in this way um, with art. I think that's great. You know, the, the fact that we I are agree. so passionate about it, you know, that, that only means that, yeah. We're being hard, but we're supportive of it because we wanted to fucking rock, and it didn't rock as hard as it could have. That's fine, you know. We live another day. Oh, um, but I just have questions because they're not even going on tour. They're doing the Las Vegas uh, residency thing, so it's like, do you think that's be? I don't know. I feel like it still would have done the, well if the they went around, it? or do you think because it maybe didn't pop like it was supposed to, you think, oh, we're gonna stay in Vegas, we're gonna. But I don't know because at the same time, who dropped a new fucking album and could sell out every fucking stadium? Adele and Adele was gonna go and do the Las Vegas residency thing too. So it's like, I don't. What's the deal, man? Well, now BTS has like a five day residency. I guess I don't understand because I haven't lived in it. I don't really understand that model. Like, obviously, that's a huge deal to be in in residency. That means that your acclaim can be one of the biggest shows in the gambling city of America. Like, that's the nightlife. So that's, like, kind of exciting in itself. But I guess as far as the money goes, I'm not quite sure how that matches up to, like, a stadium tour. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because, like, I feel like, yeah, Silk Sonic – you're trying to play it in any city. Las Vegas is one of them. Um, so I guess maybe it just made more sense for that genre of music and what they were looking for out of the projects. I mean, I guess. But to me, it's the sort of thing where it's like, I mean, Bruno went and did the full. He did like two fucking runs of 24 Karat Magic, one with and without Cardi B. And then we didn't even get it because she got pregnant, which is just, I mean, that's its own thing. I don't know. It's like those tickets alone were 200 bucks, let alone him and Anderson Pac, dude. It's like, imagine that ticket price. It's sure. like, if anything, now it would make sense for those prices to be that much. And with that attachment, they should be even higher, or they, they would make sense for them to be even higher. But how would that work? Because think they have so many songs individually, is it's like, what? Yeah, they did fucking, are they going to go out and do 30 minutes of music and then just do their, what is that going to be just like? like perform it. Yeah, that would be weird. So yeah. I don't know. Are they Covers, each, do like, they each play and then to, they come out together? I have no, that's really, that's I don't know. probably why they didn't, that's probably why they did the Vegas thing. Cause they could just play Silk Sonic and be like, and they probably, I would imagine that the, the like, 
other nice thing is like you don't have to tour. You're staying in one place doing all the shows in one place. You don't have to go through the grind of traveling to yeah, all these different places. Yeah. You get to set up shop one place. Exactly. And I'm sure those casinos drop the bag. So, like, you probably don't make as much, but it also it's less taxing. Yeah, and then so instead like, of staying in a hotel. You, you can, get to a point where you're comfortable. Yeah, and instead of staying in a hotel, if you know that you're going to be there for a couple months and you're that rich, like Bruno, I'm sure you can just lease literally a beautiful home and like, live out of exactly. that instead. I, yeah, I, I see the why that would make sense, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm still disappointed. <laughs> no, I completely, I, I, I agree. Devastating. But, hey, you know, it's, that's life. It's just uh, where my bar was. Um, I should have uh, helped they didn't myself. Need it. Yeah, I should have helped myself and lowered that going in. But, uh, yeah. Well, listen, another group that I feel like kind of ties us together, specifically because of this podcast, you could say a certain someone maybe suggested an album uh, last time we were uh, in this position, and that group is Heim. And it just so happens they might be coming to a little place uh, called Chicago here uh, this June. How interesting, guys. Where are they playing Mm -hmm. it again? Do you know? Uh, the name of it, I can't remember, but it is the exact same location that Jack Johnson is also coming to play when oh, he comes cool. to Chicago. Cool. Um, I've never seen a show there, so off the top of my head, I can't remember. I hear you. It's like the Huntington Bank Pavilion or oh, something like that, that's exactly right? what it is. Okay. Damn, D, knock it off. What the heck? He's been looking at the tickets too long. Mm. I was just, I was just there a couple weeks ago. Uh, Not at the pavilion, but I was just in Chicago. I was like close to it. Oh, dude, Nick and I were actually looking at tickets. The pit for that? Hundred bucks. I I looked to I, be in the. Pit. I don't know that's if that's true. What are you talking about? I just looked it up two days ago. I know, but then I looked it up and I couldn't find. Ticketmaster specifically, it wasn't even. It's not like oh, I'm gonna go for motherfucking SeatGeek or something. See, but I was on StubHub. Mm-hmm. Well, fuck that. But, that's where you fucked up. But what I'm saying is Ticketmaster, damn near. I bet you click next and the fees go up. The pit was less. It wasn't less than 170. I'm okay. Well, we'll we'll get to the real <laughs> details of this. We gotta go though. I'm, I'm paying regardless. Regardless. Yeah, for sure. Well, well, I already told D that I'm getting his anyway. So yeah. we're we're for sure this is locked in. Uh, but let's talk about let's talk about them a little bit. You know, um, I don't know. I feel like with the with the rise of licorice pizza, you know, now I don't know. It's just kind of they're in an interesting spot in terms of I'm sure they've grown in popularity too. Just from that alone, that one of the sisters mm-hmm. is now this big. Well, no, I'm not gonna say that you know huge movie star, but it's like. There's at least possible time. I mean, she got uh, she didn't get nominated for an Academy Award. She's getting an award run, but, though, for sure. But, dude, she got a bit of the acting award. She was nominated for that. So it's like that's a huge accomplishment alone. Yeah, she's getting the nominations, which is cool because they definitely have been tracking it a little bit on their social media and stuff, which is really cool, obviously, since they're all sisters. I got to um, say, also, they their Instagram account is one of my favorite things to follow. They're great on TikTok, too. Yeah. Yeah, they're just cool people, and I think that directly translates mm-hmm. to that interesting California, uh, I don't even know, like mellow rock type of sound. I love it, man. I'm just really a three excited. piece, right? Yep. What's nope. up with that? We, I mean, we yeah. just if if it's got three people in it, I feel like we're we're instantly like maybe yeah, maybe that's just the formula for the band, man. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say you know that's the it. best way to do it: three people. Rush was pretty good. The police. Oh. the the police is a three. Oh See, yeah, I didn't even. I'm, I, that's what's interesting is I, my police knowledge is limited. The band. Oh well, we gotta change that. Oh, I know. Well, I know songs. I, I guess I just don't. I couldn't even name like a per, a member. You know what I mean? Like that Sting. Guess that's that's okay. not true. Okay, Sting. <laughs> Besides, 
Stuart Copeland. Hell no. That's the drummer. That's my mother. Yeah, right he there. lost and me at thing. When I say hell no, well, I yeah, don't mean guys, disrespect. Come on. Like, I don't know. Of course, you know, we all know Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Who else? You know what I mean? It's like, of, yeah. No, yeah, for sure. It's got its, <laughs> its front man, but, you know. Yeah, but uh, shots out to police. Uh, the out. band. The band. <laughs> Specifically, only the band. Specifically. Specifically. Yeah. We need to make that clear for the auto-generated text that will go over the front <laughs> I don't even know. I'm excited though, guys. Heim's gonna be incredible. Um, I'm interested to see like genuinely like the demographic that shows up uh, for that location. I'm really looking forward to that. It's kind of a, a genre I haven't really gone and seen too much music of, I guess, in that way. Um, but I I got I'm going to way too many shows this year financially. I think that's a good problem to have though. It is, but you had a great idea when you were talking about getting just people. Or asking for gift cards like Ticketmaster or something. Hell for, yeah. yeah. Please, guys. Like, I, I get it. Like, gift cards are great. Give me some motherfucking concert tickets, baby. If you're gonna, if you're going that that route, get me a Ticketmaster gift yeah, card, yeah. please. Well, I want to go to some shows, motherfucker. I want to go to some shows. Yeah, because it's like if I'm, I'm probably from the rest of the way. I'll probably see at least a show a year, like at minimum. So it's like, if I had a gift card to chip away just into that cost. That's something that's extremely enjoyable, extremely uh, at the top of the list as far as recreation goes. And at the end of the day, you're just cutting down the cost for me. So great gift idea. I'm going to bank that one in my brain. Um, now it's out there. Now all the listeners know when uh, when, when the big day comes. I don't know. know if, that's what we're looking for. I don't baby. know if D knows one of the concerts I'm going to, and I think he may be jealous. Ooh, it's a so, little bit of drama so yeah, on the pod. We got so we got less than a couple days here until March. Um, in March, I'll be seeing. Uh, so let's just knock out the first two. I'll be seeing Krungman like we talked to next last week, and then we got Tool. I'm going to see Tool. Interesting, but then, <laughs> then I'm seeing Claro. With Arlo Parks, yeah, she's gonna be in Detroit March fourth, and I've, there's nobody nobody cares about Clara like me. So That's like, crazy. I just, you should go by yourself I'm and not, start crying in the crowd. I'm not gonna drive across the state to go. If she was coming to Grand Rapids, oh, I'd okay. absolutely be there. She's but yeah, far. not like it's not horrible, but to go by myself, I think that'd be yeah. that'd be a, a bit much. Interesting pairing, though. It's like the first time in a long time. Uh, if not the first, that no, that's not true. Uh, that I know the opener as well, just going into it. So I'm I'm kind of looking forward. Interesting combo too. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that, and then obviously Claro's voice, uh, be, absolutely beautiful. So I'm I'm ready for that. But definitely spreading the Hello, genres. Claro. Yeah, I'm definitely spreading the genres around in March. Uh, and then financially, I'm also spreading around the pain. But it is most of it has already been paid four months ago. But you know now it's just putting into perspective how much has been spent on concerts. D, in terms of concerts, uh, you got anything really catching your eye just throughout the year? You know, uh, what's what are those big ones for you that you're like, mm, might have to figure some shit. Yeah. Out. So, um, my, well, like one of the things I'm going to do is just like there's a couple venues in GR that do like smaller shows. And there's an artist I like that literally I've I've heard like two or three songs by her, but I think she's cool. Um, she's playing at this place called the Pyramid Scheme on Monday for like eighteen bucks. I'm probably gonna go down to that. I think Nilla might actually come up for that. So like I'm gonna she just like I'm Nilla. gonna start trying to like look look yeah, um, 
try to like start looking for some like smaller people that I know and catching them early because when I like catching Duran Jones at a bar with like 50 other people, one of the coolest things that I've gotten to do. Um, so I'm trying to look for like more small things like that in terms of big stuff. I did today just, um, put some money towards a John Mulaney ticket, um, different type of concert, but a concert nonetheless. Sure. Um, sure. so that's happening. That's happening. Obviously, like you said, Heim is happening. There's the Duran Jones and Jack Johnson stuff. If that, we can make that for happen. Me, I mean, you just said Duran Jones, um, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm about to see that motherfucker because he's opening for, <laughs> for Jack Johnson. But like, hey, shit, dude, I'm not complaining. I love, I love all that shit. Ooh, I'm excited to see Jack Johnson. Oh my god. Ooh. And then there's that that weird combo, that weird triumvirate, that fucking Thundercat, the Strokes, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. That yeah, if I could, oh, that well, would be dope. Well, dude, here's fuck. the plot twist of the century: is that um. Yeah, <laughs> Nick probably cannot go to the um, Chicago show, but potential uh, potential stars could align to get him to attend the the Comerica Park um, performance that they're doing immediately after. Does um, Thundercat hit do that one too? I think so. Okay, I was so, gonna say hopefully that wouldn't interfere if you guys were definitely yeah. eyeing Strokes and Thundercat. That would like that's the reason to see it for me is those like I'm like I like the Chili Peppers but like I love the Strokes and Thundercat seeing Thundercat live would be like transcendent my my soul would leave my body exactly so I guess we should us three should double check and see because if Thundercat and the Strokes are only opening in Chicago I won't hold you guys back because I have to do some manipulating of schedule anyway to make the Comerica one happen if we do it's just that absolute nightmare scenario where it's like God. I got to see John Frusciante back with the Chili Peppers if I'm ever going to do this. But then at the same time, I'm in wedding purgatory. I can't believe what's happening. It's an absolute nightmare in the calendar year of 2022. And that weekend directly, that weekend directly has my hands tied and put behind my back. And they're going to punch me in my stomach like Harry Houdini and throw me in a tank of water. That's how that weekend's about to go. So. Uh, we just got to pull some yeah. strings, hopefully uh, get those Chili Pepper tickets. Uh, hopefully Comerica lines up. Hopefully same openers, and then we'll be riding the wave. Hmm. We'll tell you mm-hmm. what, boys. Um, we're about an hour and a half, and if not a little more. And as much as I would like to fit everything in, here's the deal is normally it's like, oh, I get this great idea. I'm going to have somebody on the pod, and I try to shove everything into one uh podcast and then they end up having to be like two parters and then they end up being fucking long as shit Mm -hmm. and then i just think it's like well why am i limiting myself to one you know what i mean if i'm gonna have it why couldn't we do this again you know in the near future oh yeah so uh maybe we hold off even on our our movie talks in general uh i have some really really interesting fan questions for you guys Uh, i reached out to a handful of different people and uh they they all had some interesting questions for both of you. Uh, we got some I'm individual scared. ones, but we also have ones that uh, would apply to both. So I think that might take up some time in itself. So uh, I figured instead of, you know, doing the okay. thing where we uh, talk about, because we shit. I said music. We haven't even gotten in. We haven't even we haven't even got into it. Yeah, maybe instead of talking about a dying sport like baseball. No, I'm kidding. No disrespect. Damn. But maybe we could do a, just a music episode or something. But well, like yeah. in reality, baseball. We'll cook it up. We'll we, cook it up. Sports definitely we're cooking the first Listen, hour. In the past year, you know, yeah. stirring the pot has been 
pretty random in terms of when episodes drop. I just feel like a better person when I do them. And, you know, I think interviewing is one of those things that I just want to get better and better at. And you can't do that unless you do more of them. So Did you tell them about your sure. idea involving uh, marijuana for starting? Oh, so here's the deal. Uh, possible thing in the air. Well, uh, guys, whoever listens and doesn't know, uh, I smoke a lot of weed these days. And it kills me that I can't do a podcast uh, also while I'm smoking, you know, that just, uh, every time we record, it's inside and it's weed. just, there's not a lot of places where you can smoke weed inside. Yeah. Well, yeah, we all have pens. We all have pens, but I don't know. There's something yeah. about passing a J around or something, you know, and we've seen, That's it's true. not like this is an idea that we've never had. Um, but Nick actually had a brilliant idea in terms of marketing. Um, so, yes, we have uh, Stirring the Pot episodes where I'm going to be doing interviews with all kinds of random people. But then uh, we're going to have a slight logo change. Uh, we're going to go slightly green. And, uh, Nick, do you want to reveal the new title? Uh, smoking the Pot. Smoking the Pot. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have a couple episodes uh, throughout the year where we're uh, just smoking and having a good time uh talking as we normally do great rebrand smoking the pop baby That's coming incredible. coming towards yeah. you 2022 i only hope that i can be on an episode <laughs> i only hope that i can be featured maybe oh. the next one that we didn't know you know what we're gonna do a bunch of these why am i we'll we'll, we'll all reconvene for a um interlink yeah for a smoking the pot episode as well um but let me get to these fan questions okay Mm, this is it. We'll start, you know what? We'll start broad. Uh, we'll, we'll do one that both of you can kind of answer. Uh, a fan wants to know, uh, what is the proudest moment of your career? Like in terms of work. Damn. Proudest moment. That's not, maybe that's not necessarily broad. I said broad. Now I'm laughing at myself. But I don't know. That's, that's one that that's, that's a great that works. Question. Yeah, that works for both of you. Um, if anything, that might be the most specific question now that I'm looking at it. So I'm laughing inside for sure. Let, let me, yeah, let me digest. That's the, it. Can go many ways. Um, um, I think I can. I can go. Um, I just because I think mine is pretty easy. It's pretty general. Um, I would say I had a lot of doubts about a lot of different things that I was doing um and I mean you just never know if the decisions that you're making are going to be the right decisions but I think for me even though it's not what I'm doing anymore it was really validating for me when I did get like an official like actual like a, a writing job like I could say that I was doing I think actually like getting the job and getting offered the job I felt pretty good in that moment like that was very validating even on a small level even on a small scale that I did it on it kind of showed me that like I kind of got this shit a little bit For in sure. that regard. Uh, I think mine is interesting because maybe it's not directly tied to like an accolade or even like a position, but um, right now I guess my main occupation is a videographer, but at the end of the day, I think my main goal is shifting more into the photography realm. Um, and an interesting time I've been taking photos since high school um, and I know it's super topical and trendy, but when I made a slight transition to film photography and making an emphasis of shooting that in a couple different formats, um, the cost was the biggest, uh, reason why I wouldn't do it. Um, but within that, I tried to cut the cost and I created a dark room in my uh, parents' garage. 
Um, and I, I learned the whole process of developing my own film scanning that whole start to finish. And I think, uh, one of the coolest moments of my life was after shooting that first role and going start to finish and, you know, pulling it out of the development take, seeing the images show up on the transparent negative. Like it was like, Oh, well that's cool. Cause a exposed it correctly. I actually have an image here. And then to convert it via color and all of that, that whole walking process of then having a finished product with an image, I think was a very exciting, uh, specifically first time. So I was a, I was a pretty proud, uh, at that time, maybe more hobbyist, but like it was a good foundation for me to, to start, you know, creating some of these photos from start to finish even. Wow. Coming in swinging these two. All right. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, someone wants to know, uh, for both of you guys, uh, what was your favorite album of last year? Uh, Women in Music Part 3. Wait, is my COVID years blending? Is that 2020? That's what I'm trying to, that's the problem is I can't remember, which I got to actually. I love that I refer to as COVID years because that literally doesn't feel, the stay home order does not feel that long ago. (laughs) Let me see. Yeah, I gotta look up. Hold on. Yeah, Women in Music is 2020. Or, yes, 2020. It is 2020? Okay. Hold up. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I liked uh, Call Me If You Get Lost. Um, Yeah, I like that. I don't know if it's my favorite. That wasn't my number one. Oh, Jubilee Japanese Breakfast was really good. Um. Arlo Parks dropped that album. Cool. Oh, oh Adele, 30. Okay, there's a ton in here. <laughs> An Evening with Silk Sonic. What was the... Oh, man. Oh, man. Now I'm sitting here trying to think of the name of it. The It's... Oh, there's so much... I just feel like there's so much music that you've shown me. Yeah. That's come out recently. Oh. What? Go. I mean... Uh, I don't know if it's my favorite. I mean, Gold Digger Sound came out last year. Oh, oh I, I, I think I think mine might be Vince Staples by Vince Staples. That album's fucking incredible. Um, and that one has that's like a recent one that I've been playing a lot, so that could be recency bias too. But um, I think that was the best rap album to come out last year for sure, and that's the one I've been playing the most recently. I really like I'm kind of scrolling right now still a little bit. I really like the L- little Sims. Sometimes I might be introvert um with how much you were playing Donda. Oh, I mean, yeah. To be fair, I would say Don like as far as what I listen to, I can statistically tell you Donda was one. So I mean, I guess that is a layup of an answer, but there was a there's a lot that caught my eye even I mean, not directly my favorite, but as far as making a huge splash last year, I think Olivia Rodrigo had a lot of the storyline for sure. That was an interesting album that came out last year. I listened to that and I thought it was really good. Um, uh, There's Ju- a couple of EPs that came out that I really liked too. Uh, Paul Paul Rod. Oh yeah, that dude. Oh god, that guy rocks. And there's another. Oh, he's so good. And there was another. Why did I just forget the other EP that I? Ah, it'll come back to me. Yeah, but I, I, I don't think about Paul Paul Rod. I'd say Donda is a layup for me. I'm sorry, everyone. That's a letdown of an answer, but I was bumping jail 24-7, and believe what I say. That is definitely true. Okay, one of the listeners wants to know, in a world without Leon Bridges, uh, who would 
Karung Bin uh, make EPs with? Oh. And even more so, why them? And would it be better? I would love to see them collaborate with Beyonce. They went to the same church. They're from that like crazy church that just apparently has all the best musicians (laughs) in the world. And uh, they got that text. They're obviously from the same area. So I think that uh, the roots of all of them together and where they're from would have a heavy influence on the music they create. And I think that her voice is obviously beautiful and she would be that headliner that I think would very much complement the instrumentation of their little three-piece. And I don't want to say little in disrespect because they're obviously probably like top three for me right now as far <laughs> as bands easily. So I think that that would be interesting and it's plausible just for the connection there, I suppose. Uh, D, what about you? That one, ah, that one, I'm struggling with that one. I don't, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm thinking about Beyonce now, and I don't know. I feel like she might be too overpowering for me. I feel to, like we could get a balance to get my here, stamp though. of approval. To that. Now it um, couldn't be like a Silk Sonic eighty twenty. I'm talking Beyonce sixty forty Krungbin. I think just the instrumentation would be more interesting with her voice laid over it. I think she's got obviously enough soul to let that thing sing, baby. I think we like. Come on, D, get on my train here. Come on. I'm just, uh, uh, I don't have a better suggestion, but um, I don't know. What about Rob Manfred? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Or what about um, <laughs> James Dolan? You know, he's, he's got <laughs> sure, sure. No, um, <laughs> I think the one that's interesting, well, just because, you know, people have asked them, you know, if you got to collaborate with anybody you wanted to, who would it be? Uh, and all three of those motherfuckers said Sade. It's like, oh, God, that would be awesome. Really? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. They would fucking throw that, that yeah, up. Throw baby. that down immediately. I want to hear the Corona like version that. of Hang On To Your Love, dude. They Let them do Smooth Operator, but just fucking, oh. Man, I just want to know what, and that's that's already her shit. I want to know what new shit would sound. Anyway, uh-huh. that would be that would be pretty okay. cool. Um, same listener wants to know that <laughs> uh, if you had to fight Tom Holland for uh, Zendaya's love, uh, how would you do it, and like, what would your tactics be? Okay. Uh, I mean, I think I go for the nose. Good. Because I feel like if you stun, like here's the thing: if you're fighting directly to win, and this isn't like it, you, like you go, you know, going in that you're gonna fight Tom Holland. You know what I mean? This isn't something that just happens very spontaneously at a bar or something. Um, and you have time to think about this motive. Um, I think it applies for anyone. I may go for the nose in all cases. Hmm. D, what about you? Steve. And then tackle. <laughs> no, I think tackle. we're, we're okay. just gonna fight. He's not that much bigger than me. We're just... D, he's kind of cut off. Yeah, though. you're going to fight Spider-Man? So whatever happens, happens. Mm. Yeah. I, what, he can fight in the movie, so I'm supposed to be afraid of him? So I'm going to square up. See me. Damn. Well, I... well with that in mind, uh, same listener has a third follow-up question for myself. What? It says, uh, if D and Nick fought, who would win? So now I got to say here. Wait for Zendaya or we're just fighting? No, just you guys are fighting. There's no incentive then. Well, now I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, okay, well, I already have, uh, (laughs) I already have the stats in terms of uh, D uh, fighting one of his old roommates. 
So I know that, and I got that in the back of my head. Meanwhile, I know that in the same night, Nick got uh, multiple concussions and still kept coming forward, baby, uh, in a football game. So that makes me think, man, that's a tough, that's a tough motherfucker to take out. That's that's steep. D's got D's got the reach. D's got the speed. And to be honest, I think for most casual fighters, that that may be all that matters. Um, I I would probably take D in this scenario, but if it, we're not fighting for Zendaya, then we're both taking an L. I think that that's a very acceptable answer. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. And what about here? Oh, alternate question. Of course you agree, D. I just said you'd beat me up, D. What the hell? No, I was talking about the second part. No, he's like, (laughs) he says, you're goddamn right. I'd tap that motherfucking. No. I, I, no, I'm not a fighter. But it's fair statistically. Yeah, I mean, there's analysis for anything. If I was going to analyze that scenario, that's my direct depiction, you know? Okay. Uh, also, spin out last question from this uh, listener. They wanted, and this is tied to, um, we're going back to Leon and Karungbin, but if for whatever mm-hmm. reason um, they had a falling out, Leon and Karungbin, uh, and obviously it's hypothetical because we don't know why, uh, which side of that would you be on And if uh-huh. it was like a Shaq and Kobe breakup? I'd pick Karungbin. Uh, just because for me, it's, it's it, they're so uh, versatile in the way I can use them in my life. And to be honest, some of the feelings I get from their music, that's what makes them one of my favorites, is so uh, interesting um, to the point that I think that I could find more use. And you, But guess what, though, man? I'm going to be missing out on a lot of some music I love. Um, but I think I would take Krungman just from like the Swiss Army perspective. Um you know, it's a game of numbers, and I think that I would get the most use out of Krungbin for the rest of my life if I had to, you know, pick uh, if I was like had to sign an NDA or something where I can't even look at Leon Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, like, I completely understand that perspective and that, um, and that, like, logically, that makes me want to pick them because it is. Like, it's just more, like, you can utilize it more, you know. It's something that, like, you can play in the background when you're doing stuff, but also it can be very in the front. And, like, but I would have to go with Leon. Like, there's just a couple songs that I wouldn't be able to live without. And he's the person that I, like, I came to find them because of him. And I, like, that's who I am more tied to personally, emotionally, is Leon. So that would be my choice. I respect that. What's the couple of the songs? That you said I mean, you of really... course, Daisy May. I mean, uh, Coming Home is one of my favorite albums of all time. Really For that sweet. to just never, like, not exist anymore would be too big of a loss for me. How does it make you feel that I met Leon Bridges and me and him are actually very close friends now? Um, I have some questions about the second part of that statement, but um, I'm very happy for you about the first part. Thank you. We are close friends now. Okay. <laughs> Another one of our listeners knew the topic of today's uh, podcast and is curious for both of you, if a season did happen, uh, who do you guys have, uh, you know, who, what's your World Series looking like uh, and who do you got winning? It's so bizarre because there's still some free agents out there that haven't signed. Yeah. Um, but going into this year, it's hard. I mean, if the Braves retain Freddie Freeman – um and getting Acuna back like that roster to me is very interesting once again I'm in I you know from the start of this rebuild I've been very interested in and I hope that this is a year they take a huge jump the Blue Jays I'd consider that like probably my AI team 
um, the White Sox specifically, but I don't know if the starting rotation will be able to sustain like the crazy numbers they had last year, which that's just natural. I mean, some numbers will regress, but you know, also hopefully to make a few signings, the bullpen, they still got Liam Hendricks and they'll be nasty. Um, but God D do you have a clear cut answer? Cause I'm struggling a little. No, bit. I think, I think with like you said, I mean, Carlos Correa hasn't signed yet. Cause I've, if Carlos Correa signs with the Yankees, I think that changes things. And like, they become oh, yeah. much more dangerous. Like there's, there's a couple teams that could make some big swings and, could really change things. I like the Blue Jays pick. Uh, they have so many guys to root for. Yep. That's the fun pick. Um, I think I would probably, like, if I had to just go with, like, a safe, I guess really boring. Um, but, like, if, if I wanted it to be right, I would just say something like Dodgers, Rays, and yep. just run that because yep. I can trust both of those teams to at least be close to getting there. Yep, Dodgers will be there. And what's interesting to me is, I actually really like, and I'll say this hesitantly, specifically for um, a player that's been in the news this week because of some comments about this team, who's now on my team, Marcus Stroman. The Mets are super interesting. Obviously, as the baseball fans, I'm sure me and D can directly talk to, super exciting to even think about Scherzer and DeGrom in the same rotation. Of course, Scherzer is you know, approaching his 40s, but at the end of the day, that has not been a deterrent for his last contract, which I would say is one of the most successful free agent signings <laughs> ever, considering what he brought the Nationals. Um, I'm really excited to see that Mets team, um, although some beef with uh, Cub, Stroman, and uh, Mets continuing to pop up. Therefore, um, I have to relive my days of slightly being annoyed by the Mets. Uh, and when I say relive because 2015 happened, where I had to have DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Matt Harvey bumped the Cubs' ass in the NLCS, and Daniel Murphy, a.k.a. Babe Ruth, hit like 160 home runs in that series. So F the Mets. He did do that. He, he did. did do that. He did. It stung. It stung, too. That's when DeGrom had long hair. I don't know if you remember that. Hmm. Well, the same listener also yeah, wants to know, is there a current player um, that has a legitimate run to get the Triple Crown uh, batting? Juan Soto. Uh, Juan Soto. Absolutely. He's the best hitter in baseball. I'll tell you that for the next 10 years. Um, yeah. 15 probably. Like, yeah, it's one. So okay. God, triple crown hitter. I could see Vlad Guerrero well, doing it. Or he almost did it this year. Yeah, exactly. I, I could easily see that. Um, I want this, man. It's a little sidebar, just one sentence. I want Shohei to hit 40-plus home runs again this year. But anyways, that's just a need for me. Hmm. Uh, same listener also wants to know, will anyone ever break Cal Ripken Jr.'s consecutive games played record? No. No. There's no, to be honest, there's no point to try. Um, I feel like in most cases now, just for, there's built in rest days now and the understanding mm -hmm. of treatment and the medical side of things has advanced so much. It actually, I, yeah, I would be stunned if that was broken ever. Cause that's ridiculous. How many ga how many games? Uh, I should know that as a baseball. It's player. over two thousand. Two thousand six hundred and thirty-two. Yeah. Some may say. Yeah. Hell to the no, that's not being broken. Let's no, get let's, uh, let's get some solo questions in there. Um, since these are somewhat similar, uh, let's just get this one out of the way. Nick, uh, what's your just general? What's your what's your favorite thing about photography? Uh, my favorite thing about photography is. Uh, Images look pretty. No, I'm kidding. In reality, I 
I kind of like, <laughs> like if you know me as a person, um, I do really like maybe the term would just be like the organization of numbers in that way. I, I love a com- compositions. I am always interested in like lines and all of that type of thing, or even just uh, color in that way, how it can direct your eye. But more specifically, I like kind of playing with the exposure triangle and adjusting numbers and fine tuning to end up with a cool photo, hopefully at the end of the day, which then directly ties into, um, you know, if I like numbers like that, I, you know, I, I love fantasy football. I love the fantasy sports, anything like that I'm interested in. And that's kind of how it ties to photography, I suppose. And D, what is your favorite thing mm-hmm. about writing? The favorite thing about writing is just, it gives you um, a place to just, like, I, I don't know, I'm a person whose mind is just kind of always going. So for me, it just gives me a place to put all that stuff down and to get it out. It's, uh, it's a nice release. I would say that's, that's the best part about it. Okay. Uh, Nick, what is your process when it comes to directing photo shoots? Specifically, you know, deciding color schemes, directing a subject, or just overall philosophy behind lighting? Uh, that's an interesting question. I, just for the fact that I think um, it solely depends on who I'm shooting for. Mm. I, you know, different shoots. You call adapt for, to the artist. Yeah, like well, that. yeah, like different shoots definitely call for different things. But if I was just doing like a shoot with a friend, like a portrait shoot in which, you know, gaining capital is not one of the goals. Um, I'll normally try and literally I just have a few ideas pop into my head here and there throughout a week and I'll add them to a list. And um, sometimes with those ideas uh, come the spark of maybe a location I've driven past, maybe something I've seen, something I've thought about shooting at. And then oftentimes when the location comes into mind, the idea playing with the location, I then will think of someone within my life or maybe some an idea uh, in which I would shoot that location idea in person with. So that's kind of like it just goes down that list. And then maybe if I don't have a specific person in mind, I'll be like, well, I'll save this location, this type of lighting for when I do get a paid shoot for that type of work, something like that. So it's it's interesting. That's not very clear cut, but um, it's kind of like the organization of thoughts in my mind, I suppose. And then I'll just go down a bullet list and see which uh, – person meets that criteria for the shoot i guess i am more or less curious in terms of like i think the color schemes aspect of this question is kind of interesting it's like is that something you put a lot of thought into or yeah definitely i mean i feel like as i've been taking photos now for a few years um you just learn a lot about how color plays with one another or even material Mm -hmm. um in that way because light is obviously reflected off different materials in different ways and that's why 3d modeling is so interesting to me as well uh, with like a program like Cinema 4D or even After Effects in a way. Um, but I I do think about it. I do think about how it's going to play against one another. And then uh, hopefully it ends up looking good, whether it be, you know, your complementary colors, primaries, whatever. And there's just a balance there and trying to strike that as something that's fun. I think that's definitely a fun part of the process. Well, this is kind of a two-parter. Uh, same listener with all of that answer in mind. Um, they also want to know how does that then affect uh, your uh, sexual performance? Believe it or not, no correlation. Believe it or not, but what's <laughs> but what's crazy? What's crazy is that um, there is no correlation. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'd hope to. I'd I'd like to think that uh, maybe the lighting looks a little bit better when going uh, pursuing those endeavors. Uh, maybe set the mood a little differently because obviously there's a cinematic language with lighting. So you know, do yourself a favor and pick some good lights in your house because they really does matter for the ambiance of your of your living scenario. Wow, what a thoughtful answer. Uh, Mr. D'Angelo Starks, a listener wants to know, uh, how has your mindset changed from, uh, being high school Winterfest King to now? Um, (laughs) 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 um, yes, uh, it has, like, I, that's a loaded question. You know, you want me to talk about my thought process from almost six years ago now? It's just, you know, um, when you're on such a high like that, you know, I think that yeah, the fans yeah, in general you, are curious to know, you know, do, are you, are you still the same person? How do you come back? Or, yeah. you know, you know, uh, but overall. No, it changes you for sure. You know, okay. it does. You, you look down on people a little bit more. You expect you expect people to give you a little bit more. Mm. Um, so I say overall, it's been pretty disappointing because that hasn't been the result of it. But yeah. <laughs> okay. You and know. the same listener actually has a question for both of you and wants to know: uh, How are you guys taking the devastating fantasy football L of the century uh, this year or last year or you know, this year? This so year. yeah. As the commissioner of the league, um, I was just kind of sad for the fact that. Um, you know, you want to win your league. You really, I mean, any league you do, but when you're the commissioner and you're the one, Mm -hmm. you know, pulling the strings behind the curtain, you want your dominance to be shown in multiple capacities, both rules and actual performance on the field. What Um, happened last year? uh, So with that thought in mind? Yeah. So I got second. Um, Last year? Yeah. Last year. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the biggest issue for me mentally was um, Russell had won. And when Russell had won, he acquired uh, midseason something that really hurt my backbone. I thought that that was the, the last straw on the camel's back. But, you know, we fought back, made a few more trades, and then T. Higgins dropped 50 in the <laughs> in the in the last game of the year. What are you supposed to do? Mm. I, I benched Amon Ron St. Brown because I was like, hell no, I'm not starting a lion in my championship game with Tim Boyle. That's what you get. Well, with Tim Boyle. It wasn't even golf. You know, it's Tim Boyle, and that's I, what you get. I traded for DJ Moore midseason, I believe, from you. Correct? No. What? Didn't I traded for DJ Moore from your team? No. Maybe that was a mm-hmm. year. Okay, mm-hmm. that's why. So yeah, like, he's he was consistent. for a reason. He was consistent. He was available for a reason. Oh, I know, I know, and I, you know, it ended up being all right at the end of the day. But I traded for him. I yeah. thought he was the better start like there. Him. It was an L. Mm. Turns out Sam Darnold yeah, is terrible. That's 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 the whole. I just was sabotaged by the bitch-ass foot of Derrick Henry, so that was it. That's that was all. It's brutal. My um, number four overall pick wasn't available for the stretch run, and it hurt. That's stunning. Yeah, that'll hurt. Mm. It hurt. Well, um, on hey. top of those, uh, it looks like we actually have some live questions um, being sent off. What? Or sent in, so we're going to read those right now. Uh, someone wants to know, for both of you, um, who is your favorite film director and favorite film by said director? Favorite film director. That's a great question. Um, I have a few, but uh, yeah, I'll use the layup here because mm-hmm. I've, I've given some good uh, answers. So I'll, I'll, 
I'll uh, chop this one down a little bit to save some time. But I'll say, uh, let's just say the Coen Brothers and No Country for Old Men. Uh, hard to argue with that. The cinema classic, am I right? <laughs> you want to take your shirt sure. off real quick? Yeah. He's got a Wes Anderson shirt on for those listening. Uh, D, what about you? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, you know, it's it's something that I think is probably a, a work in progress. But right now, I think the safest answer is to go with our guy, our guy Rick. I'm gonna say Richard Linklater, and Ooh. I mean before before sunset is a masterpiece. Uh, bef- before midnight, better. Yeah, they- that's just no. That's just wrong. I'm kind of there with you, D, but you know what? I love, that's one of my favorite things is that when it comes to the before trilogy, you know, you ask three different people in this house alone and you're going to get three different answers. That's how great the whole thing is. The way I view before sunset and before uh, um, midnight is the same way I view Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Now, so the second one is indeed the best of the trilogy. Yeah, that makes a lot better. of sense. No, no, I yeah. think I think that that's so precise. An hour, what is it? Hour twenty nine, hour thirty before sunset. Quick a script Good. masterpiece. It doesn't literally doesn't take the uh, break off our uh, foot off the gas at all. Um, but are you guys familiar with a little thing? I actually I like to call it. It's called Ewok Bonfire, um, Return of the Jedi. Uh, that's what makes that my favorite. I love the finale. And I think that similar, similarly enough, uh, before midnight, I like where that story takes it, and the ending for me and the completion of the trilogy is what makes that resonate a little bit more and bump the ranking, just up as far as favorites go to number one. Okay, so uh, you, you, you heard it here f- first, folks. You like you walk bonfire Luca? if you if you love a big happy ending, if you love a big celebration. Uh, definitely throw on before, before midnight, midnight your and uh, yeah, see see how you're feeling. I guess I meant path diversion, but uh, anyways, I respect. Oh, okay. Someone's coming in hot, and I wasn't expecting it. But Nick, this one's for you specifically. Um, we're looking past storyline, characters, and all that good stuff. What this person wants to know is, what is the most visually stunning film, in your opinion? Now I want people to bear in mind that, like many other people, I have not seen a lot of movies that are etched in cinema history. Um, so I haven't seen movies like Lawrence of Arabia um, or things of uh, movies of that caliber. But what I will say, uh, most visually beautiful, I'm, God, it's tough not to say The Revenant. Um, Shit, dude. The Tree of Life up Ooh. there. Both Those are both the 2049. boy. 2049's up there. Um, I really like the look of Arrival, um, the Master. Some of those, Steven Spielberg, you can go down the line. I th- th- honestly, Paul Thomas Anderson has a few. Uh, there will be blood. Um, I mess with the cinematography a ton in that. Nick, let's all right. One, there's ton. I, I but right I would now. say uh, yeah, I asked Tree of Life. Tree of Life. Different. Tree of Life. Tree of Life. Yep. Okay. D. Uh, would you have an answer for that? 2001. Oh, that's good. Visually, I've never seen anything like it. That's yeah. good. That's good. Have you seen that in a theater? Mm-mm. Mm. Can't relate to that one, yeah. Love, wish. love <laughs> seeing that shit in a theater. And you know what? I'm going to end it with this one, actually. I thought that this was just fucking awesome. So, uh, last... Oh, wait a second. Hold the phone. Let me Let me just double check that I don't have any extra ones. 
Uh, no, I don't. Okay. So, uh, with that in mind, last question uh, from the fan section of this podcast. Someone wants to know, and both of you have to answer. After you die, you go into an in-between place where a team of filmmakers is tasked with recreating a single memory for you to take with you into the afterlife. You can choose one memory, and that is, this is the, the plot only of afterlife. thing you will remember after you pass on. What memory would you choose, and what filmmakers would you choose to recreate your memory? Um, well, I'm instantly saying um, that the filmmakers I'm picking are, um, you know what? Why not? Let's say Noah Baumbach and uh, Greta Gerwig. Ooh, what and memory, though? That's a great question. Let's make the memory, um, well, A, if you watch the movie Afterlife on the Criterion, People take a whole week to think about this. So put me on the spot to pick a memory if I pass away. That's tough. Whoever yeah, this is, is. brutal. That's, actually, a, that's a rough thing to do. I think my memory may be, if I had to pick, me fighting whoever this viewer is that asked this question. Damn. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'll tell you what. It's going to get uh, real interesting when we find out who asked the question. I bet it uh, was. I bet I know who. I bet you don't. What? Anyway, um, D, what about you? Huh. That's uh if we're keeping in line and okay, so I in terms of best idea if if I'm gonna go off of like if I'm gonna use my favorite filmmaker, there's a memory that I think is pretty perfect for that. Um if I went like I I can't like think of one I'm trying to think of one sentimental one that would like loop in like all of the people that are meaningful to me. So that like I'm not gonna be able to do that, so I'm just gonna skip that one. But that would be directed by Barry Jenkins. Um, for this one, clean. I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna play it up. I'm gonna be a little bit of a I'm gonna throw something to my host. I'm gonna let Linklater direct that um, the rainy day that we had, um, the chill rainy day in Rockford. Damn, damn, that's, that's the one. one memory. I'm sitting here. I'm like, I was I'm gonna make a joke, like, and I'm, I was gonna say, you know no. what? You can't pick the day that we met, D. That doesn't count. We gotta go somewhere else. I'm, I'm just thinking of theme, and I'm thinking of fit right now. That would be the best for, off the top of my head, like a filmmaker and like a moment combined in terms of creating that memory and making it last forever. That would be my choice. Nick, if I describe this moment to you. Um, could you pick a couple people that you would want to shoot it just in terms of, you know, with that story in mind, uh, who do you think would capture that moment? Sure. Sure. So when D and I, it's funny cause we already talked about hinterland. So I think this is actually probably a good place to end the pod. Um, when we drove back from hinterland is about four and a half hour drive and I had to work the next day. So that's why we left at the time that we did, but I got some cool ass coworkers that were totally fine with me coming in late. Um, well, when we got into town, I basically said, uh, just arrived, you know, going to be in within the next hour, just grabbing a bite to eat real fast. And the person working was like, you know what? Just take the day off. I got it covered. And I said, no shit. D's in town. Got the day off of work. Let's just fucking chill. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's tough because you guys ended up going and getting food and doing that whole cool thing. And I, we left specifically so that I could hit work for a couple hours, but you know, if there's anything that we've learned, it's that we're not going to let something like that ruin our day. 
So D and I get home with our food, we eat, and we definitely fucking smoke. And it just so happened to be pouring. Like it was just pouring outside rain. And I look over and I just see D staring out the window. And I'm like, what? what is this man? I just want, like, it's one of those things where you're like, I almost don't want to ruin this, but it's like, what is this man thinking about that he's looking so hard into the glass? Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell's going on, man? What's the deal? And he's like, I I just love the rain. I, You know, it's one of those things. And I thought about it, and I thought about the little back patio deck that we have, and there's a little overhang before, you know, we're out there, out there. So it's like, I bet if I open this door, we'd be able to, like, not get any water in this house and still be able to enjoy this with the door open. So with that in mind, uh, we loaded up, and we smoked right uh, with the door open, technically inside, uh, and I threw on the rain song by Led Zeppelin. And, (laughs) yeah, yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, yep, that's Bill listens. Bill listens to the pod. No, he doesn't. Regardless, uh, we were sitting there, and it was just one of those things because, honestly, for, I would say, five to ten, well, that's not true. You know, however long the rain song is, you know, we didn't really say a whole lot of anything. We just kind of sat in that moment as it's raining outside, and we just sat, and we just fucking, you know, it's one of those things where you get to a level of uh, friendship or, you know, love for a person, and you don't you realize you don't have to fill the time with you know talking about everything you know sometimes just being you know it's not every yeah we're separated so much that it's like i don't it's not every day i get to see d and it's funny because you know and you would think that oh man when i see him well, where it's non-stop you know talking or catching up or whatever but you know, sometimes we can just sit there in each other's company and that's enough, you know. So I would say that this is a prime example of one of those moments. Um, with Bradford Young. Bradford Young. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I picture D yeah. staring out the window right at the start and I just instantly, when you even bring up that type of climate and someone staring through a window, I picture the opening shot of Arrival with Amy Adams staring. Or not even, I don't even know if she's in frame. I think it's just that open window, like the house. And it's just, ooh. I've oh, arrival. I fucked that movie up. Yeah, Bradford Young. I think he'd kill it for you guys. I think so too. Maybe we should give him a call. What do you I, think, D? I think so. Thank you. I think you're right. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I've had a hell of a time enjoying this. Uh, I think this is probably a good place to end it. Is there any final words that you two would like to say? Um, thank you very much, Luca, for having me. My name's Nick Talon. Signing off uh, at NRTPV on Instagram. Give it a follow if you get a chance. I just can't wait to be on smoking the pot. <laughs> I call first episode. We gotta, we gotta get full, full circle round table. This is, yeah. I was gonna say we gotta, we gotta really come together for this one because this is gonna be, this is gonna be great stuff. Well, anyway, uh, love you guys. Love you both. Thanks for coming on the pod. You know, if there was love anywhere you. to start love the new year, uh, I think it's with you two, my friends. Yes, so, sir. Thanks for love. coming on, uh, and we will be back soon. I don't think